You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. It is doing this negative countdown again. But it We're having like, problems, Mike, with our new uh, our server updated. What this last week? Are we use Squadcast and everything's backwards now? We can't figure out what's going wrong. I'm a basic bitch. I use Zoom, so I wish I could help you. <laughs> Do you see a recording button? Yeah, it says with a countdown. I have a count up, so it says fifty three and counting up. Okay, I have a countdown. <laughs> mine mine started at a minute eighteen today. Last time I started at a minute. It's weird. We got some learn learning to do over here on this new system i don't like it i don't like change i'm getting old no we don't want change that sounds like the worst mike you uh i think you're the first guest to ever wear our t-shirt while recording can you think of anybody i think so tim lambiris had it under his shirt you could just see the peak out of yellow and that's it you'd think people would be homers more but they're not yeah, I'm like, is it is it a cliche? Is it this? I figured I'd go all out. I was going to do like a pretend shoe wall. And Caitlin's like, no, that's a bit much. But we have the uh, I I it. Packers uh, shareholder thing in the back from the uh, oh, yeah. fiance. So. Well, well, Bracken appreciates that. Don't you, Bracken? Of course. It's funny. She was the one that got the message um, from you first, Kirk. And she said oh. that she wanted to reply and just like show up and be like, oh, you wanted to talk to me? And just <laughs> <laughs> Didn't I refer to you as Mike or did I, I think, not? I think you may have. Uh, but I'm like, oh, yeah, that <laughs> sure that would confuse the hell out of him. We would have just done the episode. <laughs> just wing it. She's yeah. like, I want to talk about special education with Bracken. I want to talk about the Green Bay mm. Packers with Kirk. And I'm like, all right, all right. She doesn't want to talk special ed with me. I've become a very negative Nancy about the schooling. <laughs> She's uh, she's starting to feel the effects of that too. It's it's hard yeah. not to. We're just going to bring each other down. Well, if that's what your other half, Caitlin, wanted to talk about, what would be your bullet points? Uh, <laughs> I figured. I don't know. I mean, I can't talk about. Uh, I, I was worried. If, I was super excited, and then I was worried. I'm like, oh, I can't really talk much about training. And I'm like, well, they know I'm not an elite athlete. That's inserting insulting their intelligence if they're expecting me to be like, yeah, I, you know, if I do this and this and this. Like, that's not <laughs> that's not my thing. Uh, but I can definitely talk about. Uh, history with the sport and uh running for mental health and all that fun stuff so we always have an angle don't we bracken and if not one presents itself i've got a few first of all i i would like to acknowledge that uh mike you may be the the og out of us three here we always like to refer to bracken as the og but why don't you tell us why you're more of the og mike i think Bracken has me beat by a year. Correct me. No, he doesn't. I think he's 2011. I'm 2012. 2011. Stop yeah. it. You don't know your own time. Get out of here, Kirk. It's a very short <laughs> list of people that have uh, joined the sport before me. But yeah, 2012. Foot uh, in mouth. <laughs> it was it was an adventure. I, I, I joined because uh, things weren't going well in life. And I figured, uh, you know, this is something bizarre. I would never do it. And uh, let's give it a try. And then I absolutely fell in love with it. Spartan Amesbury 2012. Amesbury. Yeah. Yep. They used that venue for all of the races before it was shut down. Like superhero scramble, dirty dash, like things that are <laughs> that people haven't heard in a long, long time. Well, Bracken may or may not know this, but I, I assume you pay you pay a little bit less attention to social media than I do, Bracken, but it's a generous um, way of putting it. Well, we'll just leave it there. <laughs> but 
Mike, you have been as you've you've hosted obstacle running adventures for how many years now? Uh, since the beginning of 2017, and haven't okay. missed a week yet. Ooh, I, have we a week? I reckon. I don't, I don't know if we've missed, we missed a, week. a week. We've missed an episode. Mm-hmm. So the nice part about two episodes per week is we can fail and keep the streak alive. Yeah. And you guys know how hard it is to like, you have everything set in stone and then it's like a no show. And it's like, what do we do? Let's pivot. Let's pivot. Let's pivot. And sometimes it's like really nothing to, to go to. Yeah. It can be frustrating. That's a great streak. Yeah. yeah. It's been, it's been a while. And, and you know, we've, it's been an adventure. We started off very much like, wanted to get a, I don't know, like, kind of like, what the hell is the thing that you, you bury it and then you, it's like a time capsule almost mm-hmm. to kind of mm-hmm. remember all these great times. And uh, my big thing was like, oh, pulling people out of their comfort zone. So I wanted to do that. And then I realized I got to get myself out of my comfort zone. I got to start like interviewing elites, things that would absolutely scare the hell out of me. And Bracken, you, Isaiah Vidal, and Ryan Kent were the first elite interviews I ever did. In what order? Uh, all, it was all at the same time. It was at uh, City Field. Oh, that's right. 18 in person was, in person i was nervous as hell <laughs> i'm like oh they're, they're approaching uh excuse me excuse me uh now that was the race to get us at if it was fenway a year later you would have got a much different interview i remember seeing you there and i chose not to talk to you um <laughs> just like i'm gonna i'm gonna leave him alone um yeah not a problem same three people <laughs> much different circumstances yes i do remember that that was a glory days of stadium. I want that. I want that back more than anything. So, okay. The point was that you've been, ha- you've had your own podcast for the last, I guess, five years or so. And as soon as we came out, like, I feel like you had our backs. Yeah. Like you, you were posting with our podcast, like some of our episodes up while you were running. You've been like a huge supporter of what we do christ you've sent me car stickers of the running public emblem in the mail more than once you've gone out of your way to do really nice things for bracken and i without no expectation of anything in return and i was just like why on earth have we not talked to to mike yet like and and this is i'll just shamelessly plug your podcast you do a fantastic job you. you absolutely do and i don't know what kind of traction you have but you should have more you have great conversations. You ask questions that people don't often ask. You come at a different angle than a lot of us, even Bracken and I. And so, I, I of course, I want to get to know you. But those are all the reasons why I was like, we got to talk to Mike. Yeah, I appreciate that. Did, and it, yeah. it, I didn't do all these nice things to get on the podcast. That was not a thing. No, of I course. I truly believe course. that, uh, you know, our rising tide lifts all boats, right? A lot of people are like, oh, do you compete with the other OCR podcasters? And I'm like, absolutely not. If they're listening to their show, they want to listen to my show, that's fine. I'm competing with uh, the radio as much as I'm competing with you guys. All I want is time, you know? So, uh, yeah, helping each other is the least we can do, I think. And uh, Kurt, uh, Bracken, I've been listening to you for a long time um, and been aware of your sports success even longer. And uh, Kirk, I was excited to hear who this new guy was. And uh, other than the whole Bachelor thing, which, again, I won't hold against you, uh, he seemed to be a pretty cool dude. So, yeah, I've been enjoying the show. And just, I mean, two a week, that is... That's a lot. It's a, it's a lot for me to put out one a week, so I, I can only imagine. And all the Mike, you're, you you're telling me you get a call to go on The Bachelor. They're like, Mike, you're in. You easy no? I am a hardcore introvert. Um, I'm not a big drinker. Uh, Who says not, you need to be an extrovert or a drinker to go on? I know. I just, it, sounds, <laughs> it sounds like hell. It just sounds like hell to me. I don't know what it is. Uh, I've never even watched it, so I can't really say that, but 
everything that I've heard about it from friends that watch it, um, I just, I, I <laughs> it sounds like hell on earth for me. Fair. So hard no. Bracken was chomp, chomp at the bit to get on there, but. Oh, yeah. That was just totally my jam. Yep. <laughs> I want to date in front of people. That's what I want to do. Nobody wants to do that. I didn't want to do that. The ones who seek that out, like, for themselves, those are the people you got to be worried about because there's something wrong with those people. It's the ones who, you know, you get a call out of the blue and what do you do? Yeah. Here's what I, I'll say is that when you went on versus what it is today, it is not the same product. People go on now, and this shift occurred, I don't know, maybe five years ago, maybe more, but people go on now and they'll take out a loan to get their clothes budget and they're doing it for their blue check mark. They're doing it for the opportunity that's going to come next. And they go on there and not everyone, but you can tell there are people on there who are acting. Yeah. They are there to put on a, a, a performance. And when these started back in the day, it was less of that. So you, you hit it in a, I think the sweet spot. All right, we can move on. Nonetheless, my question for you off the bat, and maybe Kirk was going to get there. Maybe I'm cutting in line. No. But if I were in your position, I and I have been in other versions of this because I was one of the first people offering some sort of coaching in this sport as an active athlete. And every time someone came on, because I think I wrote my first training plan that I actually charged money for in 2015. So there was Yancey, there was, I don't know who else in 2015 was doing it. It was mostly coaches from other areas writing it. And when a new athlete would get some notoriety, they immediately came out with a training plan. And every time I was like, come on, I've been here. I've been doing it. Looking back, I probably shouldn't even have been doing it yet, but I felt like I was the OG at the time, even though I was still just like, cutting my teeth, but I had this negative reaction. I had like a hostile wall that came up when a new person came out and I'm like, that's going to cut into my business and you don't belong doing it. You think you can just come over and instantly be good at the thing that I've been training for since college. Come on. And I would always have like a secret wish that they would fail. And if some of my friends did it, then I was cool with it, but I still wanted to be better than them. And that's toned down as I've got a little older, but why you? You who had like you, Matt, people who were pre-existing and weren't coming at it from the, I've raced at a high level. You should listen to me. You're doing it from a different perspective. Why didn't you feel encroached upon when two athletes who really have no business saying we're going to do this and do it well? Why, why didn't you react with any of those feelings? And, or if you did, why did you choose not to act on those? Why, why were you embracing of us from the beginning? That's a good point. So there's definitely a lot of similarities and a little, you know, a few differences, like at least there's no money on the line. Like I'm not getting rich off of this. I don't know if you guys are, uh, but, but, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of podcasts that have come out and I'm friends with almost all of the podcasters and I listen to almost all of them. And, um, I just enjoy getting different perspectives. And I think that listening to your show also makes mine better too. Um, I listen to, you know, the questions that you guys ask and I hear how they answer and I'm like, oh, I think I could you know, go a different, different direction with this or, oh, they, maybe they could have asked this and they didn't. Uh, but early on, I just, I just want to see more success. I mean, I feel like there should be other than, you know, Benny and Hunter back in the day, there weren't really, oh, and uh, reinforced running, but trying, there weren't many elites uh, doing a podcast. And I really wanted to hear more from you guys and what it's like to be training and, and all that. So, um, 
I don't know, I was just genuinely uh, wanted to see how you guys would do. I wasn't threatened. Um, I expected success from you. I know that not all OCR podcasters did. Uh, <laughs> <famous> <laughs> he's come around. He's come yes. around. Yeah, he has. And also, he he helped me out early on too. I was I met him on the Spartan Cruise back in the day. And, oh man. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, I asked him like, oh, like how should I start this and that? And he was supportive to me. And I think the least I could do is kind of pass that on. So when Jason Dupree did OCR Talk, which is no longer around, and when um, Scott the Fane Knowles was doing I Am a Spartan and this and that, like I, I talked to all of them. I'm like, hey, if you guys need any help, like this is what he used for editing, this and that, and just I. I feel like if there's more people talking about the sport, that can only help the sport. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. we are a uh, running, obviously, much, much bigger. But OCR in particular is very niche. And uh, I figured more podcasts out there, the more awareness, the more love for the sport could only help. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to do what I could help. Wasn't even like a minute eye roll when you saw the first episode or post about it? Honestly, no. If anything, I was impressed by your audio quality because, as most podcasters know, the first episode is usually uh, not great. And I know that you guys have only gotten better, but starting off really strong was was really good to see too. And the fact that you guys were doing two a week that was that was astonishing to me because, again, that's that's a lot. The amount of time I put into one episode per week is a lot. While Dan was with grad school and work and all the other fun stuff, so yeah, no, no eye roll in here. I think that's the advantage we had is that we set our own work schedule. And early on, I had a ton of flexibility when Kirk didn't. And so we had that. Like if you were busy, you were sunk. If Kirk was busy, I could dedicate some time because learning the software was Mm -hmm. a hassle up front. And we had every technical issue that everyone runs into. We had that up front, but we had flexibility and that, that was very, very beneficial I, to us. I also think we got our, we did a good, one thing, if I look back, we did, I'll pat us on the back for is we took our time before we put out our first episode. We got all our ducks in a row, didn't we? In mm-hmm. the months leading up, like to get everything figured out and ready to go when it was, we weren't, we, we didn't like record and then not know what to do with it or how to back it up or how to, we were prepared we didn't rush that first one. I think that was helpful too. I don't know about you. I know some, they say just start recording and jump in, but we did wait yeah. a little. Well, and I got to do that with Benny. You know, that was like my internship. I got on the job training. I got to see the mistakes that got made on the tech end. You know, they Ben Greenfield had people working for him. So he, he still had a minute role there at the time, but I got to see what they used. And I read a lot of blog. I researched it like I would research a shoe or a race. I read a lot, but yeah, we learned from some other people's mistakes, but we certainly did one thing wrong. I mean, we did many things wrong, but in my opinion, the thing we did the worst was we started with Hobie Call. I look back and I, I would we give could have done with that interview now. I would give anything to redo that, like even six or nine months down the road. That was our first one. And I had questions written down on the page. And I know we didn't want to follow it, but I wasn't fully conf- I just I listened to it from time to time as a reminder, like, do not settle because this is what <laughs> you started with. And you're going to go back to that if you settle. So yeah. anyway, how, what did you do to get ready for your first one? What's your what's your background prior to podcasting? Or did you jump in, like Kirk said, get something recorded and put it out for the world? So going back a little bit further. So again, starting in 2012, um, I started a team of obstacle course racers just trying to get people off the couch and uh, OCR was huge in changing my life. I, I figured it could help others. 
And uh, so we started like a local team and from 2013 to actually 2019, um, I had a team called M. Stefano Running, which I wish it <laughs> didn't have it tied to my name. I did not like that um, when it came down to it, but uh, just getting people off the couch and we went to like all these crazy races. And so the podcast just started off like, hey, let's hear about your experience and wherever you went. And so I just didn't even know what a podcast was. Someone told me like, hey, it's like a uh, audio medium and this and that. I'm like, okay, I have, you know, very, very introverted. I have social anxiety, speech impediment, like, let's do it. Why not? <laughs> and, uh, so all the signs leading, <laughs> let's not do this. This is not made for you. Um, and it just started off with me and my blue snowball microphone and mm -hmm. uh, just sitting around the room, just talking to OCR and we'd go to a race and we'd talk about it. And if someone else was doing a race in a different state, we'd have them call in and talk about it. And uh, it just, the audio quality was, was not great. It was just four people sitting around a room, not even close to a microphone or anything. And uh, I just figured it'd be cool to, again, kind of have a time capsule of what it was like back then. My biggest regret is not starting earlier. Uh, I, superhero scramble, just so many big, like run for your lives, big events that went out back in like, 2013 2014 and uh, i wish that i had more audio from that but yeah just kind of started it up and made up for lost time and slowly got better but it did not start out great um at all it took a while i have a blue snowball in my basement yeah that's is that every early 2000s starter mic i think so because it's like omnidirectional it's like if you don't know what you're doing get this and, and the podcast plugged was... right in yeah, the podcast was originally supposed to be um, four of us, and it was supposed to be a rotating cast, so there's always going to be two people in case people weren't available. Uh, as time went on, as a month went on, it, it became very uh, abundantly clear that only two of us were going to be around enough to work on it, and that was myself and my fiance Caitlin. And uh, the other two kind of faded away from the sport over time and faded from the podcast even quicker. Um, so... That was, that was an adjustment too. And I just, a bit of OCD. I didn't want to let it stop. And I'm like, I, I can't miss a week. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I haven't because like that's, we always say that we're the most consistent co-hosted podcast because Matt B. Davis always like fires back at us. <laughs> and so we're like, okay, co-hosted. That's our big thing. And then you guys came along. So there, there's, the, there's the eye roll. How's that? We, it's good. We're only like, what, three years shy of your streak. So I think we got some work to do. Your numbers catching up, though. Your numbers, well, downloads probably far surpassed, but your uh, episode numbers. I, I looked the other day, and you guys are real close. What are you on? Because this will be 250 on the nose for us. 280. I should know this offhand. I think I just put out 287. Okay. So So we, we need, like, what is that? What do we need, like, another 50 weeks to catch you, though, really? Quite a ways. <laughs> Longer than that, 60. Yeah, it's, it's not as close as it looks. Uh-uh. <laughs> Right. Uh, so did you, so you had no background in media, um, no background in being on a mic. This was sort of a passion project almost to document experiences uh, without yep, any, any background. Yeah. I, I guess in, when I did start racing, my grandfather's like, Hey, I bought this GoPro. I'm not using it for anything. Do you want to use it and do my first fire race? I'm like, hell yeah. Your and, grandpa uh, had a GoPro. My grand, my, my grandfather's very cool um, that's kind of baller <laughs> he, he taught me how to video edit and so we would always like edit family videos or um way back a lot of people don't know this i had like a karaoke show <laughs> in, like, really we're gonna yeah wait, does it exist in the world on the internet yeah, somewhere it exists. It's you have a karaoke show yeah like this has to be Mike. gold 
it's a uh, it's something <laughs> are you willing to share where to find that so it's uh m stefano karaoke <laughs> it's uh okay, right. if you want a good laugh you can go back and uh i think the very first uh like thing i put out i had like an afro but i was just big into video and i've always been into recording memories and stuff like that uh, i just feel like i want to remember everything and you don't do a lot of things that line up with an introvert. I would say karaoke show would be far down the list. Well, it was like awkward, like myself in a bedroom karaoke. I'm talking like teenager Mike karaoke. Um, and uh, so I, I eventually transitioned to, I got the GoPro and I did like race videos for a while. And it's editing a podcast is tough. Editing video, much even more difficult, I would argue. And I did that for a long time too, just to try to get, a good memory of like what it was like to do all these events right and so i guess that was my only media experience transitioning to this but as for like public speaking and all that stuff no i'm still i'm still working on that especially for my my career right now it's it's tough hmm. all right well i think what i want to what i want to do with you to dissect this a bit because i do want to talk about a number of things you touched on in the beginning when you were saying like what angle do they want to take with me well there's a number of them but um, just because I actually don't know this and, and it would be good just to get like a, a quick bio of you. Like, I don't know necessarily exactly where you live, where you grew up, how you got into the sport. Like, if you want to bring us like in a, in a quicker timeline of like Mike to today, like, what did that look like for you? Yeah. Uh, grew up in Bridgewater, Massachusetts, not a yep. very interesting place, but, uh, I think my <laughs> family expected me to be big into sports. So they had, uh, football, baseball, like Michael Jordan, everything. My mom was a big fan of the Bears back in the time, which Caitlin hasn't let me live down. And uh, they signed me up for all of the sports. And I was horrible in all of them. I was uh, very small. Uh, in football, they just cheered every time I got up after I got tackled. Uh, basketball, I didn't have the coordination to dribble. Soccer, I was too distracted catching bugs. Uh, not, not an athlete, I would say, um, until I found um, martial arts, which was good for self-defense and everything and i think that definitely strengthened me as a person and um running we did like local track and i was always on the slower side i had asthma or sports related asthma the kind of diagnosis went back and forth at the time and uh did that up until high school high school i did track for the winter and like shin splints dealt with all that stuff was not very good um only did it for one year but i did love competing in the relay race they put me as they had put all like the worst people in for the relay race i think but they put me in as the last leg and i'm not someone that's very competitive i don't really care much about winning or losing but i think doing that relay doing those relay races was like the most i ever got like being the last person to get that baton and like chasing down people uh absolutely fell in love with it and uh as much as i loved it i, I just didn't have time to continue it i was working uh, part-time all through high school, all through college at like a whole bunch of jobs, sometimes two or three jobs all at the same time. Um, so I could afford, afford things cause, uh, school's expensive and, uh, didn't really do much running at all. Not even, not f for a team or anything or not by myself for fitness. And then, uh, fell into obstacle course racing and, uh, the first race I did, I remember the very first obstacles at the top of the hill, which everyone called it the mountain at the time, and uh, jumped in just like the mud bath. And it, it felt like something like primal woke up in me, which is really weird to say because that's not, I'm not a 
boo-boo guy, but uh, <laughs> it just like woke up inside and I'm like, this is what I need to be doing. And uh, yeah, I just f- fell in love with it. And I've been, been like a, a weekend warrior ever since and just uh, using that as positive reinforcement, like get through your crappy school week, work week, whatever. And you have something really exciting. You have a community to fall back on. And uh, yeah, it's been huge for me. At the time, what was your work week, school week? What were you doing in, on both fronts? Yeah, so while doing uh, ops, when I got into obstacle course racing, or yeah, yeah, so I was work, uh, going to school at Curry College in Milton, uh, double majoring in psychology and philosophy, and I was working at Dunkin' Donuts, and <laughs> it was rough working at Dunkin' Donuts. People are people are mean, man, and. Uh, <laughs> What did you do at Dunkin' Donuts? Uh, everything. I did everything. I was uh, During the summer, I would work two different stores, and I'd work the daytime shift at one, go to the other, and then do the overnight shift, and back and forth, and uh, just try to make as much money as possible, um, because I'm sure you guys wouldn't know, but Milton, Massachusetts is a very uh, ritzy, ritzy place, so all the people that we went to school with were flush with money, and I was not. Uh, same, same with high school. And, How did you uh, find and choose Milton, then? Uh, I don't... I think it's... I didn't put as much effort as I should have into finding a school. I just kind of applied to whatever I applied to, and that's where I ended up. Um, I didn't – I've always loved school, but I always hated homework. I hated, like, that, that busy work aspect of it. So mm-hmm. I don't know what my GPA was, but it probably wasn't that great. I think it's the only one that i gotten into. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of tripped, fell, and landed in uh, a curry. All right. And, okay, so – wait, we're talking college right now, right? Yes, yeah. Okay. Um, and how old are you right now? 30. 30. Okay. Such a young pup is, is all. And you're still in school. Yeah. I'm uh, going to be done with my master's in at the, actually at the end of this month, which is just the first step on route to what I'm going to do. So it's a journey. Masters of what? Uh, masters of special education. So I'm going to be going for my BCBA to become a board certified behavioral analyst. And so I have to get my master's, finish my 2000 hours of certification, which is a lot, <laughs> and then pass the boards. And then after insurance improves me, um, I will have a decent quality of life at my job instead of being free for service. Mm, so you're, you're volunteering your time right now in a sense, huh? Yeah, it's worth it. Um, I'm going to ask a straightforward question. Do you make any money off of your podcast or and and if so, I can't imagine it's mostly to keep the lights on, correct? Yeah, that's that's a fair assumption. We're supported by people on Patreon, which is like, I think we get maybe a hundred dollars a month. Uh, we get, let's see, we're sponsored by Mudgear and Caterpie, but that's not really money uh, coming mm-hmm. on, on that side. What I do get is I get to race for free, which is nice. So I'm not losing as much money. So Spartan mm. and Tough Mudder, since I'm going there to do interviews and stuff, I get to race for free there. Um, most of the smaller races, I don't ask for a free race because I don't want to, you know, hurt mm. their bottom line or whatever. And uh, Some races have been very clear that they don't want to hand out race, race codes. But, yeah, racing for free, I think, is the only way that I'm, you could say I'm kind of making money. So this has been uh, five years, five full, five full years, I suppose, at this point, uh, of a passion project. Yeah, absolutely. On top of all your other responsibilities. Yeah, and I'm a bit of a perfectionist, but I definitely do push to do more than I think that I need to usually um, because, and you guys do a great job with it, all podcasts do it, but 
uh, like the call in, everyone can call in and do an episode uh, just like we're doing now. But I was big into wanting to go to the race and get like live coverage. And I thought that that was something that could really separate me from uh, other podcasts too and really get audio from the event, uh, especially stuff like World's Toughest Mother. Like I'll, I'll be there in the pit and I'll get audio of people like crying, celebrating all this stuff. And so people were like, what's world's toughest mother like and like listen listen to this mm-hmm. so yeah a lot, lot of passion behind it we've never thought about that have we bracken no hmm. no and i don't even know if it would be appropriate i think about this a lot i feel oftentimes as if we already crossed the line on race brain when we critique athletes because we're still doing it Like there needs to be some separation and I don't know if an athlete wants to. And I said this about, ah, when we were going to do a different race coverage that I shouldn't be at the finish line for someone as they cross the line, because I don't know if you could tell a fellow racer exactly what you're feeling in the moment or if you have to be guarded. And maybe I'm totally overplaying this because no one else is going to care. And maybe I'm not even a fellow racer at this point anymore, but I think that it does require some separation. If you're actively in the sport, it's either really cool. Like you got the bromance going and you can go interview your friends and it's fun, but anyone you didn't get along with on the race course, or maybe you're too close in competition with, I don't think it would be a good interview. It's tough. Um, The big thing with me is I value athletes completely non-contingent on their success which might be tough. It might be counterintuitive to most, most athletes, but uh, I'm thinking about Mark Batras. Like he could start doing terrible. And as a person, I'll always be a fan of him. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a great, great guy. Uh, on the other hand, I've been a little vocal in the past. I've, I've gotten a lot better. I've got to know him a little bit better, uh, but have not been a, a big fan of your friend, uh, Hunter McIntyre. There's been <laughs> multiple opportunities. I've had the, the chance to have him on the show. And I'm um, like, I'm just going to give him some space just because he's like very much seemingly like the opposite of me. He's very, very macho and this and that. But I do, do know that he has like a really good side of him too. I hung out with him for a bit at the last World Stuff Sputter uh, when he was pitting for Katie. Uh, but yeah, just it, it is tough. Like figuring out like what to say to them too. Because uh, again, I, I don't have like a competitive boat just like, oh, how did your race go? And I just want to hear what it's like from them. But I could never really get to the, in, the the questions to really push them, which I think is good and bad in, in those ways. Yeah. How self-serving was starting this podcast for you? Meaning, I guess a, a, the backdoor way to ask this would be like, if nobody listened, yeah. would you keep doing it? And if so, why? Yeah. Because I sense this was sort of a, now, I'm not going to say a selfish endeavor because, well, everything we do is sort of a selfish endeavor, right, in its own way. Um, but you, but it seemed like you were scratching your own itch for the greater good, in a sense. So that's why I ask. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's definitely made me a, a better person in terms of being social and talking to people. I mean, talking to strangers, <laughs> it's not, it sounds very scary for me. And I, I still get nervous if I'm interviewing, like, Lindsay Webster or Ryan Atkins, uh, more so Ryan. Lindsay's the, the sweetest. And Ryan's nice too, but still a little intimidating. Um, but yeah, it's definitely my big thing was I wanted to pay back the sport for what it did for me. Um, but obviously, there is some selfish elements of that too. Like I would like more um, attention and, and more 
I don't know if power is the right word, but I, I, ultimately I, I would like to work to a place where I could get enough listeners and stuff like that and be like, hey, this is something that like needs to address. Like, this race is going out of business. Like, let's get together and work on this. And I just wanted to work to a position of that I think would be good. But as to if no one would listen, would I still do this? Uh, after COVID hit, our numbers got decimated because it wasn't a power of 10, but reduced by half. Um, and it was not great. It was a massive, massive hit after COVID because podcast consumption was down as a whole races weren't happening. And it was on the other hand, it was, it was harder to come up with ideas like, okay, there's no race this year. What are we going to talk about? Uh, and so that was a big transition, but I never thought about stopping really. Um, I actually think that doing this podcast helped me through the pandemic with some sort of consistency. So like work was completely up in limbo everything was up in limbo for everybody and i still had like okay i have something to work for this weekend i'm going to talk to someone awesome going to put it out there give them some love and um you know whether it's an elite athlete or someone like uh shades who i just had on this last episode who's not an elite but he has chromatopsia which means he's like legally blind and uh there's, there's always someone to talk to um and so i think that kept me going too we started in the pandemic, didn't we, Brack? And I don't know any different. Yeah, that's what I was thinking in that it saved my business. Oh, mine too. Because when Spartan and USATF and road running and everything canceled their races in a 60-day stretch, I lost like 70% of my income. Because anyone who was only on board to train for a race had no races and they decided to save money because everyone up front in COVID decided to save money. And the only thing that kept us afloat in my family was the podcast started to gain traction because we had just started. And I had people reach out who were interested in our training that we were talking about to try to come out of the pandemic ahead. And so for us, it was an easy, I don't want to say easy because it was not easy, but it was an easy decision for what we talk about. It was, all right, you've got this time on your hands. Let's talk about how to train and how to build training blocks. So for us, we faced almost like the exact opposite scenario. I've never thought about the fact that podcasts went down during that time because no one had race reports to talk about. And I don't listen to other OCR podcasters because when I internalize something, it's going to come out at some point and I will not remember if I need to give credit or not. And I'm just going to cannibalize people's stuff. I know that about myself. So I do not, I don't even listen to Rich's and Rich is a buddy of mine, unless I see someone's title, like a title of you or a title of his that I really do like need to hear what they're saying. But so I don't know what your angle was during, if you do post-race interviews and you interview about racing, what was your way through? Yeah, I, did, I had to transition to like, oh, call in, let's, let's talk about stuff. It was, <laughs> it was really tough. And again, listen to like real quick, listen to, to other shows too. Um, I'll be out on a run and I'll listen to a podcast and I'll hear you guys say something. And I'll, I, I will physically write things down in notes. Um, like, oh, Bracken asked this, Kirk asked this. So I, I do give credit like that because I, I do mm. <laughs> want to make sure mm -hmm. I'm not giving credit, uh, that I am giving credit. But that, that, that can definitely be tricky as well. And I don't think I'd be able to do that. I think it would go together in one big hodgepodge and eventually I'd be regurgitating your words or Rich's in my own you know, syntax, but it would be your idea. So. I know I can't be trusted with that. So it's impressive that you have guardrails for how to handle that. I try. I try. Yeah. 
Mm. So how long did it take to get a swing of it? Like you went from an interviewer at races, not only that, but to doing podcasts as call-ins. And that is not at, at all the same, the same environment. It's tough. You could talk to. It's not even the same job. No, you could talk to anyone for five minutes, turning that five minutes into 45 minutes to an hour. Very, very difficult. You got to ask more in-depth questions and this and that. The one advantage it does have is like, you know who you'll talk to Um, doing some finish line interviews. There's some great athletes that don't, that are tough interviews. Like they'll give one word answers like, Oh, like tell me about your race. I try to ask open questions and like, you know, tell me about your race. It was good. Okay. You got to give me a little bit more than that. Um, Mm -hmm. whereas when I am setting up for a more longer duration interview, I can take the time to have multiple subjects. And I was like, okay, if the conversation starts to go here, this, if the conversation goes here, do this. Uh, it definitely took a while. And, um, there was a lot of like imposter syndrome. There's an imposter syndrome all throughout all of this. Um, as as I'm sure athletes deal with, with it just the Mm -hmm. same, but as a podcaster it's tough because, um, I know Bracken, you said that like, a lot of people doing media the sport in the sport right now have really no business doing that. And I completely agree. Um, I'm just working my ass off to kind of get to a position where I do earn it, like fake it and then make it. Um, and then I guess continuing off of <laughs> imposter syndrome, Kirk, not too long ago, he said uh, most runners, most people that call themselves runners can do a uh, 10K in 40 minutes. I'm like an hour here. so <laughs> That wasn't me. That was Bracken. I got flack for that one. Was it? <laughs> yeah. And I believe what I said was uh, the average, me. I said this, the typical upper end of age group athlete. That's fair. That's so fair. there was a caveat in there. Did you get some gruff, grief for it? Cause I got a message or two about that. Some, two other people thought it was me. And I was I like, got tongue in cheek about it. Oh, I'm not 40 minutes. And I, <laughs> I went back and re-listened to, cause sometimes I intend to say something and I, it doesn't come out. Hmm. That one I did say, I was talking about upper end of age group. Okay. So. Because at my core, one of my core beliefs is that everything is relative. Yeah. Fast is only what matters to you. So I almost feel like I wouldn't ever say a real runner is blank. No, a real runner is someone who really runs. That's it. That's the only criteria. Getting faster means just for you. So side tangent. If anyone was offended by that, I didn't even mean what you heard me say. Mike was. (laughs) Mike was. You should have been. You heard how mean Bracken is to Jack Bauer. Yes. I have toned that down. <laughs> you have done a, a big, good job. I'm a big fan of Jack. <laughs> I like Jack. He, oh, he's yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm only mean to my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I ignore people I don't like. I tell people this at the gym. So at the gym, I'm known as like the snarky one, believe it or not. I know I'm a little more docile at times compared to your snarkiness towards Jack, but I'm that guy at the gym. And I tell everybody there, I say, Hey, the worry you should, the day you should start worrying about what I think about you is the day I stop giving you a hard time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't waste my time giving people a hard time that I don't like. Right. That's how, that's how we do things, but see, okay. So from a lot of the episodes I listened to, I wanted to address one thing before I forget is Bracken and I have it easy because we have each other in a sense. I know you and Caitlin work together, of course, but um, like when you get to a roadblock with an interview or you like, I, we think very differently actually Bracken when we interview people, you take it directions I never would think to. And I think at times I I do the same. And I thought we were the same. And the more we we do, the more I realize we, we will think about the same thing, but differently. 
Correct. We approach like the same thing from like different angles, which is always really helpful. And a lot of times you do interviews solo, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, either myself and, or Caitlin. Yeah. Right. You guys are solo. So like, I think part of the reason that we got, we got lucky in the sense is I don't think Bracken and I knew what we had until we started. And we realized we just luckily complimented each other very well. And then I think if this was my own, like I've done a few solo interviews, not many and Bracken the same. Mm-hmm. And every time I get done, I'm like, this was exponentially less fulfilling or I feel like I didn't do my job in full without my other half with me, which sounds, I guess, a little, I don't know, lovey dovey Bracken. But the point I'm saying is like to man a ship by yourself without anybody to run the sails, for example, is very difficult and you have to be super on. So like, I, I just, it's more like a tip of the hat. Like um, it's not an easy thing to do. So uh, the long way to get to this question is, Bracken and I wing it. I mean, we straight fire from the hip. We don't plan. We don't talk about things ahead of time because we can feed off each other. Yeah. One-on-one, different deal. So like how much yes. work goes into, right. So how much work goes into like prepping for you? Like, I just feel like you're so busy hearing everything you have going on. So, and you asked some really, like when we interviewed, you asked some really detailed questions about me, like where you had done your homework. And I was like, damn, Mike's impressive. Like how much time are we putting in here per week? Thanks. Yeah, I definitely have to make up for um, all, all of that with, with a lot of preparation. So what I do is I have a, a notes app on my phone and I just have a whole bunch of athletes. And every time I think of a question, I'll add a question to that person. And I have a lot, <laughs> a lot of athletes on there um, that I go through. And when it's time to like, oh, you know, uh, Rhea Coble did something awesome. I want to have her on the podcast. I'll type in Rhea Coble, come up with all of her questions. I'll use some of those. Um, so just a lot of preparation that adds up to that. And, uh, and thank you. It, it's tough. I'm working on accepting compliments. <laughs> it's not easy for me to do. And, uh, yeah, just, it's a lot of time and effort that goes into it, but, uh, I enjoy it and I want what I put out to be, um, to be worth it to, to, for someone to, cause you know, you are taking their time, whether they're listening at regular speed, two times speed, it's still time out of the day. And I, I want to make sure that it's, it's worth listening to. Kirk, you're right. And I got cocky. I thought we're just getting really good at this. Not really like it's all relative. We're not really like Joe Rogan would look at us and be like, these guys are amateurs. But like, I feel like we're comf- getting comfortable in h- what our job is. And then mm-hmm. I did one without you. And I realized I was comfortable because I had a safety net. Someone could be asking a question. I could hear something in the first part of the question and I could check out and start thinking because Mm -hmm. I knew if it got to the end of it, you were just going to pick up. And I'm always, I have a hundred percent confidence that whatever you will ask will be as good or better than what I would have asked. It may not be the same thing, but it'll be good, maybe better. And so I can check out for 20 seconds and start formulating what I want to get to at some point. And then I'll just make a little note. Like you'll see, I'll look down throughout this. And I just make little notes of things that jog my memory, but now is not the time to talk about it. The moment I did a solo interview, I couldn't do any of that. And I realized I wasn't getting better. I was getting better at working with you Mm -hmm. because suddenly my, my questions weren't as deep or, or as snappy or as prepared because I couldn't do any of that. All I could do was listen. 
And that was tough. And during the John Albin interview, I even audibly said at one point, oh, that's a good question. He did too. I remember that. <laughs> as you started saying it, I'm like, oh, I should have thought of that. And I never would have. And I'm so glad he said that because it led to a really, really like goldmine of an answer that I never would have pulled out of him. But you have to do all of that ahead of time. Yeah, and you talk about true. the time it takes to do a podcast. Not only do you have to edit it, but you have to prep. And our prep looks much different than your prep does. Yeah, I'm not afforded the luxury of like that recharge time, but it's definitely noticeable with, with your podcast. And I think that is awesome that you guys are able to, you know, bounce back and forth the way that you guys do. And, and you do come at it from different angles, which is really awesome. But yeah, I don't have that. So it's just kind of winging it. And every once in a while you stumble upon just a good answer, which is which is good. And then like while, while they're talking, sometimes you have a little... Uh, opportunity hmm. to, to think of some other things but at the same time you also need to be a good listener as a podcaster and it's it's very difficult so a lot of multitasking you nailed that bracken that's exactly what it is it affords you the time to think about to calculate your next move as an interviewer and that is invaluable because if you're truly engaged with the conversation that you're currently having your mm -hmm. mind should have a harder time wandering to the next path or the next turn to take. So that's that's exactly what it is. I never really thought about it in that context. That's interesting. But Mike, now you said something that's very uh, interesting, speaking of which. Uh, okay, so break down this notepad thing for me. So like Mike Stefano's outrunning and Aaron Newell crosses his mind. You, will <laughs> As you he like, does. <laughs> as, well, you know, he's a polarizing character. Uh, will you like pull out your phone, jot something down? Like you have like folders of people in your phone that organize your thoughts for future podcasts are you am i understanding this correctly explain well, say, this saying it that way it sounds a little creepy but <laughs> yeah you've got a file going on everyone in the sport yeah you don't you don't have everyone's social security numbers either but what's going on it's with mostly it? pictures for Kirk. but uh yeah Get no, <laughs> cut that and uh i am a slow runner so i have the the chance to, to write all this stuff down um that doesn't yeah, like, matter you know he'll be on your podcast or OFX podcast. And I, I learn about how I think Bracken one time you said that, like he's one of the only people that may knew, know some aspects of shoes better than you. And I thought that was very <clears> interesting because you're like the shoe guy and then uh team OFX, like he's one of their athletes. So yeah, when I'm listening to another podcast or uh, most of my ideas uh, for questions come in the shower for most people, if that's like seems to be the big place and also mm -hmm. right before I'm about to go to sleep. So that's kind of frustrating, uh, but like I'll be about to go to sleep and just something will pop into my head. And again, listening to like all of the OCR podcasts out there, like there's a lot of ideas constantly swirling through my head, trying to stay up to date with what's going on with the industry, what's going on with certain athletes. And yeah, just lots of, lots of notes in there. Do you have your phone with you right now? I do. All right. I'm going to ask you to do this for us. You know what I'm going to ask, right? I, I would love, oh man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think my file's probably been trashed because we already interviewed. So I was going to say, he, both, both of you are kind of drained now because of, uh, drained. So like, you, like, we've, you got what you got out of us. We're, we're all farmed <laughs> out. So I want, like, could you pull up an example or could you tell me, like, I'd love to see, like, the list of names or, like, just a few. I want some insight. And because this, the reason I'm asking actually is very selfish because, as I mentioned, I've been very impressed with your interview like style and the way you ask questions and some of the questions you ask that I would not think of asking myself. And I think that um, I admire that about you. So that's why I want a little bit of uh, an insight into your, into your brain. So he's, yeah. he's looking at his phone folks. So I have um, 
this is like a generic one. I've, I've recently learned to like split it up by person, so it's not a whole bunch of scrolling. But for men, I have Christopher Mendoza. Um, <laughs> this is kind of unrelated. Are we still going to Ben and Jerry's? That's a little outdated. We were supposed to go to Ben and Jerry's last time we went to Killington. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, oh, God. This is going to get weird. <laughs> I heard on Matthew Davis's show that you have dissected a human before. How was that experience? Mm. So it's not all oh. plus questions, but uh, weird ones. That's the good stuff. Uh, Noah Galloway's on here. Um, just certain situations, like when he says that he's, uh, it says, I'm sorry to miss you at World Stuff Smutter. I was on the course. I don't think we ended up crossing paths. Uh, but even that, if I can pause you there. Just little moments. Yeah. I don't believe there is such a thing as an A-plus question. There are mm-hmm. conversation starters and there are A-plus follow-up questions. Yes. So even that, that someone who is new to it would probably not write that down. But knowing that, hey, I don't think I saw you on course. I missed you. I was out there. That's going to lead to him saying one thing, and it may even just lead into him telling a story. But exactly. that question might lead to an A-plus question. Yeah. And, and so that's that's the plan. And, and, you know, writing all this stuff down, sometimes it's just straight garbage. But worst case scenario, you say it, you can edit it out, you can delete it off the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have, like, E-Rock... Mark Gaudet, uh, Ryan Shadeg, Rylan Shadeg, um, whole, oh wait, Bracken, you're, you have a whole bunch of things on here now too, I guess. So <laughs> oh, look at that. No, look at that list. Okay. Go for it. I get permission. Don't ask, don't ask Bracken. So Bracken, it says next time I, I see you racing, I have to cheer, uh, beat the storm. Cause I remember you saying that like, that was your big thing. You were always afraid of the storm. And now it's like, you know, you got a time to be the storm. Mm-hmm. Um, That's good. He's like rain man. I work with autistic kids, so that, that is kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> right in line. <laughs> uh, not to stereotype, but you're from Wisconsin. What's your favorite beer? Uh, your body doesn't know speed. It knows intensity. What does that mean? Uh, how has your recovery gone? Uh, you're not dealing with a comeback. It's a return to form. Uh, explain mm-hmm. what that means. Uh, just as important I... is your confidence back. Were you the storm today? Uh, your focus on 2021 was growth as an athlete, as a father. How did you do? Um, you know what this is telling me? You guys got to hop on the mic. <laughs> I got to watch my damn mouth. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> too much information. I, I well, sometimes now all of those were accurate, but I know sometimes I have a throw and I talked about this on one that there's no such thing as a throwaway line, mm-hmm. but they'll say something as filler to the next thing. And someone will take that as the thing. Not that any of those are. Those are all good. Yeah. But someone has something I've said written down. Someone take me in a workout in the last, I'm just going to say the last six months. So no one feels called out and they butchered the workout. But maybe I said it differently one time, but it's an interesting reminder. Okay. So before we move on, whatever you want. Is that that everything? Was that the whole list? Oh no, there's more. Uh... Let's go. Continue, please. You want this is good stuff, or? guys. No, it's it just it's it's enriching the appreciation for what you do, and I think that's important. Continue. Okay, so this one is this one gets a little philosophical. Uh, Bracken, you was talking about how you don't have a wall of fame in your house; you have more of a wall of shame. Mm-hmm. Um, what's greater, the joy of the wolf eating the sheep or the suffering of the sheep? That's more of a, a Schopenhauer reference, uh, but just talking about how sometimes. The, the negative feelings can fuel you more than the positive accomplishments sometimes. Mm-hmm. These are the exact questions I'm talking about, folks. I'm, people need to listen to you. Continue. I got you on here too somewhere. You wouldn't 
strike me as a finish line interviewer because these are not finish line questions. No. You know, the fact that you've transitioned to this well means that there is some aptitude there. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, again, uh, from someone that speech impediment, social anxiety, like this was not geared for me, but through working my ass off, it's, again, fake it and then make it. And um, Mm -hmm. that's, that's, yeah, that's what it is. Which people don't like. But I feel like that is the special ed mantra. You must fake it yeah. far before you make it. Absolutely. Well, I think the interesting thing is, is now I like, I want to know Bracken's answers to like a number of these questions because <laughs> I don't necessarily know them. And I'm like, wow, like, I don't even know who I'm sleeping next to at night anymore. <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things. Our pillow talk has waned. Well, Strangers I mean, Mike, lying next to me. Mike, you have me intrigued to do an episode with you. So maybe we should just do that. And I also maybe just want to start with a, an apology. John Albin, I've referenced him twice now, and it probably won't be the last one because his last episode impacted me. For some reason, several things he said changed my thought process on things. But one of them was he started the episode smiling with us. In our first episode, he did. And I don't think this is unkind to say he was guarded. He and I hadn't talked in a year or two, maybe more. I don't know if he, Kirk, if you had any background with him really in person. Not much. Nope. And, and his audio sounded better than his video looked. And then the second one, he was night and day different person. And he actually started with a compliment to start it. And and he was ready to do the interview. And we had a great time talking with him. And I realized I have done the same thing. And his comment was, you do so many interviews that are just tedious. They're painful. Someone stares at a piece of paper and says, okay, good, good, good answer. Now, Next, <laughs> what do you, and it's, 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 it's painful. Yeah. And I can't say that I came into my first interview with you any different than he wanted his first with us. Because I've probably done 10 or 12 painful OCR interviews and 10 or 12 moderately acceptable. And then a few really good ones. Nobody's wanted to hear you that many times, first of all, to continue. Well, keep, keep in mind it's a decade. That's only two per year, <laughs> okay. right? <laughs> two, two to three per year. That's it. And for a little while, there's probably five per year. And then for a couple of years, no one wanted to talk to me. <clears throat> but point is. And now they're I forced think... to listen to you all the time. Continue. Sorry, I keep interrupting. <laughs> That's true. They are. <laughs> they, uh, I think that I brought that armor into our interview together. If I had gone back and because we didn't have background. Yeah. And I think that that I did that. And so I would have to go back and re-listen. But I can't say because I John, I would think, and he even said it in a message to Kirk afterwards that he felt he did a better job in our second one than his first, which is funny, John reaching out to say something mm-hmm. like that, because he's yeah. untouchable in our eyes. But I would say the same to you. So if there is an apology needed, I offer it. Yeah, I appreciate that. I specifically remember that interview because I was on uh, vacation with Caitlin's family and it was like, oh my God, is the Wi-Fi going to work? Is this going to work? And I remember their, uh, the person that like owned the house that we were like renting came in during the interview and I'm like, oh my God. And just having like to pivot away from that and pretend that like nothing was bothering me. It was uh, <laughs> very, very, very anxious for that one. But yeah, I was, I was also intimidated interviewing you too because I've been again following you for a while and so... Um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of nervousness getting into that, but it's a lot of rapport building, right? Just getting to know <laughs> the athletes. And I'd like to think that, um, consider some of these athletes like friends, uh, Logan Broadbent, his, uh, 
girlfriend lives in my area and so when he's in the area he's like hey you want to go for a run and like that's it's a cool feeling it's not like a you know name drop or whatever but it, it's just you work really hard and, and most of the times when i see ryan kempson like the majority of the time we're talking we're talking off mic and um mm-hmm. it, it's kind of tough finding that separation now that i think about it too of um all right let's do an interview but like let's talk after and and, and tell me what you're what you're really feeling but at the same time getting good stuff in the interview too so kind of dealing with that has been has been interesting but yeah working on rapport with the ocr athletes has been intimidating at times but but a lot of fun you know everyone you know we're just we're both trying to help each other right like i'm trying to give more attention to a specific athlete and by having them on the podcast it makes the podcast look good so it's it's kind of going but both ways and you know just realizing you know we're all just people and kind of humbling people is, is uh, definitely a way to go about it too mm-hmm. so do you need to really is one out of the way first before we move on or you want to save it for an episode yeah we'll, we'll save it i think i got through like half okay oh my oh, wow. goodness jeez <laughs> might be your first two-hour episode no you've done long episodes i've seen you had one that was like two and a half three four hours what was that i saw it was like a marathon episode so, something uh crazy that i do that i don't think any other podcast does um because it's stupid is uh <laughs> every year i put out two recap episodes and what i do i actually have to get a head start on this for the end of the year episodes but i listen to every single episode that i put out that year and i take um I don't know if you guys know this, but when I do interviews, I always start off with, you know, your name and where you're from. And no matter if they're, you know, the president of the United States or whoever, like, I always start off with the same thing as an equalizer. But I use those clips of all the names as part of the episode. So it gives respect to, you know, the Brackens, the Shades, the, the, the everybody, no matter where they are. But I also take the most important lessons that I've learned from the podcast and put all that in one episode. And then for another episode, wow. I take all so the funniest work. moments of the show and make a whole episode for that. So I think if you're to go back and listen to any episode, um, go listen to the last two that we put out of every year. It's like a recap compilation. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of hours, no exaggeration, uh, are put into those. And uh, again, as we touched on, I'm not doing this for the money. It's just uh, trying to make sure I'm putting out the best that I can for people. Do you take notes throughout? Like to be included you do you have a highlighter that does that or do you have to actually listen to every episode i'd be smart i listen to every episode and it's it oh gets to goodness be it gets to what be a speed lot. do you listen to that <laughs> well that's that's annoying because i edit on audacity and so while i'll be like driving around this isn't i don't <laughs> say people nope, should do this but i'll be driving around and, and it'll be playing and then like oh that sounds really good uh i'll like take a picture of it with my phone and keep driving and so like i'll have that like timestamp so i can go back <laughs> And cut all that but um hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clips for each one and it's not like very fancy it's just like clip into clip into clip into clip and it could change from uh someone talking about how they dealt with a suicide attempt into how uh going back to mark batros how he the biggest thing for him is balance in his life you know he wants to make sure he spends time with his kids and, and training is important too and just zips to one thing to another and they're all chronological so if you hear one thing you can go back to that episode and um, it's a lot of work but i've done it since the very beginning of the podcast so hmm. um, they're, they're pretty good I, I will toot my own horn for that one i think I, we're uh, start doing that are we <laughs> no, no. <laughs> see this is why i can't listen to people's podcasts 
Think about that. Two hours every week. We got three to three and a half hours of content every week. Can you imagine going through all that uh, to put together one? And I think that episode I saw was like four hours long, right? Or five hours long. It's just talk about a long run episode. It's very long, but I I get a lot of good feedback from it, especially the funny one. Um, Some people sending me uh, funny like hate messages of like, hey, I was at the gym working out and I got in trouble because I was laughing so hard at certain parts. So a lot of like stupid to to, uh, engage Caitlin and the uh, the podcast and stuff. I always tell her she can have like a quote and a joke to wrap up the episode. And she is a wonderful person, but she's really bad at her delivery with jokes. And sometimes like the joke just becomes even funnier just because of the way that she says it. And we have just a lot of funny people on the podcast too that you wouldn't expect. And so uh, it's just fun to have all of that as again, as a, as a time capsule for for the year. Like I'm not going to go back. I could go back and listen to specific episodes, but if I want to get the bulk of what that year was, what, what 2020 was, which on one hand was a shit show, on the other hand had some great aspects of it, I can go back and listen to that, and um, it's definitely worth the listen. Whether it's one run, two run, one drive, two drives, because uh, they are longer episodes. I say this a decent amount because you talk about imposter syndrome. Oftentimes we get done with something, and I just think, does anyone, is this the week? no one listens to the episode are they just tired (laughs) of hearing us talk about running but one of the pieces to that that blows my mind is and you've done this to us someone will tag us in a post or a message that says playlist is all set for this week's 50k or this got me through six hours and it's a podcast and sometimes it's ours and that just blows my mind that someone would say i'm gonna run 50k or 50 miles this weekend and i think i'm gonna listen so they're running public, but yo, that episode there might, if I had to choose a podcast, that might be the podcast I would listen to during an ultra. That might be just, do you get a lot of that? People saying this was perfect for my first hundred K. Not as much. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to go into to downloads and stuff, but like, I think our listenership <clears throat> uh, size is a little different, but we do get that some good feedback occasionally. I'm saying more on that episode than other episodes. Do you notice that people would engage that for an, for a race? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Because that would be the I perfect listen. take my mind off what I'm doing from like mile 30 to 50 kind of thing. Yeah. It's nice I thing. listened to that recap episode last year um, and it moves so quickly that like if you want something that, that passes time faster than even like a this format of interview, uh, it really moves along quickly. It's actually pretty pretty digestible. I'm going to do that for some long runs coming up. Or like long, grindy treadmill sessions. Hmm. All right, Mike, you're back in the playlist. Yeah, they should should hold up. Tag tag me in a post. (laughs) Hey, so two things I want to touch on. One, um, about what you all just said. First thing, really, just my my perspective is, um, I don't know how you listen to yourself so much to dissect all that. I used to, in the beginning, listen to our episodes religiously to critique to understand how to get better, to learn, right? And then at some point, I just get sick of hearing my own voice. Like it has nothing to do with the fact that like, I don't still value what we do because I do as much or more than ever, honestly. But I just can't do it anymore. I just can't do it anymore. Like how do you Not do me. How do I you even do download that? the video so I can watch myself when I edit? <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. It's my screensaver. <laughs> Bless. So, so that's just a, by the way, I don't know how you do it. I, that's, I appreciate that about you. And the other thing, Bracken, I want to run by you that, that Mike just said, and that is, you know, you said you've become friends with people in the sport and sometimes, you know, it gets a little more blurry now. Like, am I interviewing you or am I talking to you as a friend? And it's been pretty cool to open doors, being friends with people in the sport and creating real relationships. And 
we've done that ourselves when we have a chance to talk with somebody brack and i feel like we really get to know you like i'm i've already know you much better than i ever have mike after talking to you for a little bit here at the same time i also feel like it's part of our our job to offer opinions and at times mm-hmm. potentially potentially create space between us and other athletes in our sport mostly because in a sense we're trying to still be like competitors in some sort of capacity. And then we have this other podcast race brain in which our job is to critique in a sense. And so I often wonder about that because at times I felt much closer to people in this sport because I actually get to sit down and get to know them. And the other side of the coin, sometimes I feel like we're creating space between us and others because we're talking about them when they are not there to, to return the conversation. Right. So I guess I'm more bouncing this off a of bracket now that you say it, but <laughs> I'm confused about how that, how I feel about that. Do you understand what I'm saying, Bracken and Mike? Could you see what I'm talking about there? I, I think you're going to need, uh, it's like wearing different hats. You know, you gotta, you gotta have this side of you and this side of you and other people have to learn to respect it. I, I think that's, that's my view on it. Oh, it's tough. I can think of one man and one woman who I have drastically less conversations with than I used to. And I am fairly certain it's because of takes I've had. Hmm. And neither are takes I would apologize for, but I know what it's like on the other end. I know what like bulletin board material does for me. I know Hmm. when someone writes something that if I would write it, I would say, listen, and sometimes I'll even say it. This is in no way a reflection on them as a person, it's on the person that was racing them, how dominant they were. Or listen, this I'm friends with this person. I like them, but it does need to be said, like, this is a fact. And I understand if people feel that way, even if I don't agree with it, I will state it for the sake of parody. And if someone did that to me, and in the past it has, Lisa will be just fired up and pissed off about it. And I'll either have to talk her down about it and internalize it still, or I'm going to agree with her. So I understand the way it's going to hit. And I don't even know if there is a way to wear the hat correctly to avoid that happening. And maybe there is, but I don't know it. And it's part of the reason why some days I almost feel like just officially retire. Just say you're done. So you can just be exempt from all this and say, I'm never going to be friends with anyone ever again. Because then I don't have to worry about it. Then I can just say what I honestly feel because I have friends in the sport who I think have done some pretty bad things, either as a racer, as a human, or as somewhere intermixed. But I won't say a word about it because it's not my place to even bring it up. And it'd be easier if it weren't. And there's other times where I don't want to say something and I'm compelled to. So I don't know. I don't, Kirk, I agree with you and I don't know what the answer is, but I know that I probably deteriorated deteriorated did i say that correctly two relationships for sure because of things i've said on the podcast either my podcast or other people's that's tough i don't i don't envy that i remember uh somewhat early on you guys had i think it was ian hosick on and i remember he was positioned very against your um oh god i'm blanking out please help me out compromised running thank you um, and then mm-hmm. after having like a good conversation, it turns out like you guys were just seeing it at different angles, which was really cool. But for, for the most part, um, <laughs> but I think that's like, I think one good public example for people to see how it can backfire. Right. And um, another fun aspect of having a podcast is Kirk and I were talking about this before you joined Bracken, but it, it's, it's weird. Like just when people know 
more things about you than you think that they know because mm-hmm. you've said so much like, oh, have we talked about that in person or did you hear that in the podcast? And I think that's mm-hmm. another interesting um, relationship that we have with our listeners where they, you know, we are there. For, it's like a one-sided relationship in, in one way. Um, yeah. Of, of course, like we both, we value all of our listeners and all that, but it, it's hard to kind of get that uh, going both ways, which is another interesting aspect of, of balancing this. Yeah. And anything you say is there forever and you can't control if people hear the follow-up. So I know there are several times where I'll say, Kirk, I got to start with some humble pie today. I was wrong. Or I said this, I no longer believe that. And how many times do you think I've done that in an episode, Kirk? What what would you guess? Just a dozen to two dozen, a dozen. But what are the, I assume, go ahead. No, yeah, that, that's it. A dozen for real conversations about something, maybe. Yeah, but I assume that I say it and that sets the table and it's good. Everyone sits down and eats. That's, <laughs> I forget sometimes that there's a real good chance. <laughs> Not everyone listens to every episode. <laughs> now, there's a real good chance that someone only heard one and doesn't hear my follow-up or doesn't hear me evolve my opinion six months later. And we're on episode 250. I've had views on training change. I've had borderline hot takes that I have apologized for. I've said things that were incorrect and I have addressed it in the future, but there is no guarantee that just because you say it, that someone hears it. And that's been tough for me to realize. I'll have someone come up to me in person. Someone I've coached has come up and been like, Hey, I've been thinking about this for a while. I think you need to address it. Like, Oh, I did twice. And like, Oh yeah, I guess I'm behind on episodes. And it just hits me. Like if my own, someone in my own camp hasn't heard the episode, I've got to assume that there's just, I haven't mended certain fences that need mending. And that's tough. That sits. I mean, I know this is self-created issues that the three of us sit in. No one forced us to do this. I could go back to teaching. I could earn my living another way, but this is my passion. So I understand that I have asked for these problems. They're first world problems, but it doesn't change the fact that they weigh on me sometimes. And I don't want to over glamorize it, but it's a self-created problem, but it's a problem nonetheless. And I think it's it's problems that I think the listeners are better for being cognizant of, right? Before they, mm-hmm. you know, hurry to their keyboards and, and try to, you know, tear you a new one. They take the time to think, you know, you say things. And even though, if it, even if it goes through editing, like you, you could miss something or, you know, and it, it's, it's tough. Yeah, it really is. I'm trying to figure what position I would rather interview from. I like to still consider myself an athlete. Uh, one who's highly competitive, even with still aspirations to maybe accomplish more than I have yet to date. And then we have like, and then we, we interview somebody like, let's just say like a John Albin. And then I feel like I'm interviewing up in a sense where, well, now we're, I'm interviewing you just as much as a fan as I am a competitor, probably more of a fan than anything. Right. But it's always an interesting dynamic to interview somebody who you then go line up to shoulder to shoulder in a, in a race. And then balancing out with like, would it be, would it be a a very different experience if I wasn't an athlete myself, like competing for like these like top spots, so to speak, um, you very much have been open about like competing and running and you sort of changed your life and for your mental health and all those things. But you also said that, uh, you're not very competitive and you don't really care if you stand on a podium. Right. So like we come at this from like a different angle. Do you find it, you find it easier or harder to open multiple doors with a, with an interview 
yeah, coming from your position versus our position. Yeah, it's it's tough because I, I don't understand what it's like to be an athlete. I know what it's like to put time and preparation. Well, you're an athlete without yeah. question. Yeah, I, I, I slow. I move. My big thing is not getting to the finish line quicker, just more finish lines. I want to last longer. Um, be able to, to... So maybe not everyone has the same goal, get to the finish line quicker. <laughs> it's still a great slogan. It gets like 99% of the people. But uh, we'll, add in, we'll add in the accept Stefano. Yes, yeah. And For this episode. Yeah, it, it's tough because there's that I don't completely understand, but through listening to you guys, it's been very helpful to kind of aid that, that weakness that I have of, of not understanding the, the time and effort that goes into all this stuff and even the training Tuesdays. I mean, I, I don't train as, as much as um, I should. I actually was just training with uh, Kevin Gregory Bubbles uh, mm-hmm. because of you guys. I felt like, you know what? I got to start putting my money where my mouth is and start training. And of, of course, I had to stop for a little bit because of grad school and money. But um, it's it's very helpful to to get like a well-rounded view. But I don't envy you guys being athletes and having to like interview people, especially race brain too. Like you are putting numbers on people you are boiling de- them down to numbers because that's what the podcast is it's it's you're doing a great job with it but it's hard it must be extremely hard because they're your friends and you know saying that this about that person that about that, i don't i don't envy that it's that's gotta be tough whereas i say things that i, I don't i try not to offend anybody um but when i do it's not like i'm lining up on the start line with them again i don't know a privileged position to be in on our behalf like i'm not complaining in any sense of the word it's just there, there's like a line you gotta dance on both sides of at times and it's just an interesting one that i think i'm still learning how to juggle a little bit to be honest with you yeah 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 and we we're fully cognizant of the fact that we have access to people because of it yeah. like we can we're lucky mm-hmm. enough to message john and john says yeah let's do that man or we yeah. can go for a run with someone as a cool down after the race and arrange when the next episode's going to, like we have that access, which is a privilege. So, I mean, it's, it's a bit of both as always, but I, don't know, I look at, so Daniel Cormier is, was a UFC champion and he started commentating fights while he was still fighting and everyone loved him. He was like, he brought a fresh set of eyes and a perspective of the fighter. But as he got put on more and more pay-per-view cards and more into the spotlight, he was responsible more for other people's jobs rather than just the black and white. And fighters started getting mad at him. He's like, hey, you got to remember when I'm in the booth, my job, the reason that I'm being paid is to say what I see. And if I see you make a positional mistake, I'm going to call you on it. And it doesn't change the fact that we sparred in the gym and we're buddies. Like, I got to say it. Otherwise, I'm being, you know, a homer. But it, and it's re- refreshing to see that millionaires, heavyweight champions of the world are not immune to it either. So like little OCR and running talk, it, I understand it comes with the territory, yeah. but I, he hasn't found a way around it. We haven't found a way around it, Yeah, but I we think, get the access and that's nice. Real quick. I think another good aspect of covering obstacle course races is that no one is, not many people are too full of themselves too. So it is easy to hear back from them, but it's a whole different ball game when um, I guess these are some name drops, but when you have like, I, I've interviewed Des Linden, I've mm-hmm. interviewed Tatiana McFadden and like Olympic athletes, uh, Ben Flanagan, who just set the Canadian 10 K record, I believe um, mm-hmm. it's, it's 
very difficult. It, it's it's much more different reaching out to them um, and just, you know, OCR, everyone's like, you know, we're a new sport, but, you know, attention's always good. Whereas, like, what are they going to get? <laughs> you know, what, what's Des Linden going to get for being on my podcast, right? And so that's that's another. We struggle with that. Yeah, right. Mm, it is shocking how, like, we are not used to hearing no or crickets. And that is almost all we hear from road and track runners. Just crickets or, hey, I just talked to, talk to my whoever that they're going to take care of it. Yeah. And nothing happens. It's, it's very strange. We have, ac- we have access to people in this sport. And then we have, we're starting to get access into the trail community. But like when, when we've reached out to uh, the track and field or the road athletes, the very accomplished ones, even the non-very accomplished yeah. ones, to be honest, man, do I get denied constantly. Left on red, you'll call it. And that's that. No. I'll message someone get nothing and then i'll say kirk hey could you message this person use your blue check mark and he'll <laughs> reach true. out and he'll be like most of the time if it's a track or a road athlete he'll say listen i got nothing yeah. i'm like wow that's it's, it's just it's it's crazy not not They're that we're up. so good but that if someone if you didn't know who was messaging you and you clicked on it and you saw fifty thousand followers in a blue check mark you might think this is good for my brand i'll give it a shot yeah nothing yeah it, it's it's funny though like i'll go to cover an ocr and i made fun of matthew davis earlier but i think he's done he's been a huge help in blazing you know the first trail and being media in the sport so when you see Mm -hmm. you know when someone sees me at the finish line doing interviews they they kind of understand it but yeah at the finish line of a a road race they're like why do you want to talk to me and it's weird like i've covered road races and it's Mm -hmm. not as interesting and i also don't think they have as many from my background they don't have as many interesting things to say (laughs) like oh how was the race (laughs) like oh i ran and the wind was at my back for this part and this and that. There's no, it's not as interesting to me. I, I struggle with that, trying to get decent questions for, for road runners where it's like, I, I don't know. But that, that's another thing that's been helpful listening to your podcast too and like all the race strategy that goes into it. But it, it's tough. I, I find those events not as not as interesting and the people are, are harder to, to get. So it's like, I just kind of, you know, if I get one, I get one. But yeah. <laughs> Well, we're still trying and we still will try. But when people constantly message us like, reach out to this person or you, why have you not interviewed Cooper Tier yet? I'm like, why have I not interviewed Cooper Tier yet? That's the dumbest question I've ever gotten because he won't respond to me. That's why. Because <laughs> he's either running or he's napping on his millions from Nike. That's what his life is. All right. No, and he's I have not. He was an example. I have not messaged Cooper Tier, but just saying. Um, yeah. my, strong big... pivot, guys. Oh, wait, go, fin- go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, another big get that I got that um, came up on your recent episode with, I forget the guy's, the guy's name, but uh, Craig Engel was mm-hmm. really, really interesting to talk about. And I do agree that he's somewhat the uh, Aaron Newell of, of road running. I, I interviewed him at uh, an elite mile where there was like a lot of money on the, the mm-hmm. line. And I didn't really know who he was, which almost kind of helped. Like I wasn't as starstruck. Um, mm-hmm. Same with like interviewing like Jamie Ron is like, I don't really know who you are. You're just a person, but like, I'm interested to learn more about you. And, and that's been, that's been interesting too. But yeah, I do have like a whole list of like people that I'd love to hear from you. Uh, love to um, hear on your podcast too, but I know it is hard to hear from a lot of the people. Send it still. Yeah. We're not going to be afraid of getting denied. That's fair. Just brings me back to middle school dance again. <laughs> you were numbers late game. <laughs> so was I. Um, okay. My hard pivot. Uh, no segue, none needed. Um, you, uh, very openly 
talk about your mental health or you have, and you have talked, this is the main, this is the the main highlight for me wanting to talk to you about, because I relate to you on a number of levels in this regard. Um, talking about running as therapy. We talked to, I mean, we talked to Bracken's wife about this in an episode, really. Mm-hmm. So it hits close to home for you. Um, so you also said that this all changed your life, meaning everything, obstacle racing, the podcast, being part of this community. Um, I want to open that book, Mike. That's what I'd like to do. So why don't you, I'll just let you elaborate a little bit. Like when you say this is like changed your life, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, um, first Heavy off, question, that, I know. Yeah, no, no. That episode with Lisa was definitely appreciated because I think up until then it was all like really good runners. Not not saying that she's a bad runner, but like um, it was good to hear like, oh, that's me. Like I can identify with that person. You guys are doing a better job getting the running public. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've had geez, really bad depression for all of my life. Um, at least as far back as fifth grade that I can remember. Um, great childhood, you know, depression doesn't, it <laughs> doesn't matter what the circumstances are, uh, but always had like just a really tough time, um, just a weight on me for, forever. And, um, I can't remember like when it was, but, uh, dealt with a lot of suicide attempts. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but I was locked up for a little bit, um, spent some time there, which was probably the to, to prevent thing. yourself. To prevent yourself from harming yourself? Yep. It was uh, It was right only here. one day. My mom pulled some strings and got me out, but it was uh, it was a low, and I can't tell you why. It just, uh, I was losing a battle to myself, and um, yeah, I remember trying to, like, just constantly threatening and, and meaning and, and trying to go through with it, um, and my, my poor mom and my stepdad that were trying to, like, you know, how do we deal with this? So they did bring me to the hospital, and um, they, inter- they interviewed me to see if they had to take me away and all that stuff. And um, I thought I did well with the questions. Apparently, I didn't do well enough. And they brought me to a hospital. Um, they, they like they took my shoelaces and they're like, "This is uh, where you live now." And it was. Isn't <laughs> it was that interesting? They take your shoelaces. They take. They'll take the string off of your pants. They'll take. You know, it's serious business. Yeah. And then you're, you're greeted by people, um, essentially, and, and no shade to anyone else that needs help, but just a group of people like, you know, seem like we're one of us and like more people come out and it was, it was just, it was horrifying. I'm like, I don't, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. Um, one part, maybe I did, I don't know, but getting out of there, um, I think they call it like pink slips, whatever, but, um, getting out of there, I don't know what changed, but I think I just, I, I really wish I could remember how I got out of that. Um, but I've always had the depression, but that the suicidal ideation definitely subsided for a while, which was good. Uh, when was that? Not sorry to keep interrupting, but what time frame are we talking? I feel like it must've been early high school. Um, okay. it's amazing how much I don't remember for such an impactful, impactful moment in my life. Um, depression works that way though. Depression cognitively is a fog and that fog is always around you. Yeah. And yeah. so, of course, you don't remember details. Yeah. And then the worst thing yeah. people can say is like, oh, like, why are you depressed? Like, you have a good life, this and that. And that's what I was hearing from all good intentioned people. Because, like, I think things are getting better now. People know, or or at least more aware what to say, what not to say. Um, but it was tough. I couldn't really, my family was as helpful as they could be. But it was just a rough time. Um, and I've always had the depression, but the suicidal pocket was there. 
Um, and then I just dealt with the depression, dealt with the depression. In college, I had a bad breakup with um, someone who cheated on me. And it was just a really bad situation that I was in. And it was like, oh, we're almost back together. We're not back together. This and that. And there's some drugs and this and that. And um, it was just tumultuous, I think is the best word for it. Um, and I found myself getting back into um, thinking about suicide, this and that. And uh, that's when, I think it was around that time where I saw like Spartan Race and I sent it to my, my best friend at the time, still a really good friend. Um, and it's like, oh, like this is like a really physically active thing. You're more physically active. You should try this. And I believe he said, uh, like only if you do it too. And I did that and just like fell in love with it. And I had, um, I had something to look forward to. I think that that was a big thing. They say that um, churches for people that are afraid of hell spiritualities for people that's been there and I've been there. Mm. So, um, just having that, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just having that community and all that stuff was hugely helpful for me. Um, so that was in 2012 and then eventually like we finally completely called it off with that, that crazy person. And, um, I met Caitlin and we were friends for a full year before we started dating because I needed to make sure that she wasn't as crazy. And uh, <laughs> about a year from that, it was actually... And it took a year? It did take a year, which is... I, I still <laughs> Pretty I guarded, I would assume, at that, yes. that point. Yeah, I got a lot of uh, got a lot of hate for that. Um, not as much as something else, which I'll get to in a bit. But, uh, and so like, after a year, it was 11, 12, 13, when I asked her to be my girlfriend. And uh, she... I never told her. I had things in check. Things were going well with, with OCR and just finding like a mental balance and figuring out a way to, I guess, control my environment in a way that I can be a functioning person and, and get through it. But the depression was always kind of lingering in the back there. Um, and yeah, she started being big into OCR too and we, we formed the group. And I think one of the tricks that I did for myself was make yourself so goddamn busy that you have no time to think about all that. Um, and so that's what I was doing with the, the running and the moving and the in charge of a team and this and that, and just constantly having something to do. I didn't have time in my head for, um, you know, the demons and all that. And, uh, I didn't tell her, uh, about my depression and, um, my suicide attempts and all that fun stuff until four years ago, five years ago. So it's a long time, and, and I feel like me being either ashamed or not vocal enough is a problem for everybody, right? Like, if I'm afraid to speak up, like, what's to, you know, this person has to speak up too. So mm. I try to be more, more vocal about it, because if I talk about it and I help one person, it's worth it. If I help 200 people, even more worth it, but it, it's... Um, it's out there for a lot of people and you don't need a reason to be depressed. You, there is temporary. You can be temporarily depressed. I'm not, you know, that's totally valid too. Uh, but depression is, it's a, it's a lifelong thing there sometimes. And uh, you just have to learn to roll with it uh, and learn that, you know, suicide is a, let's say it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem, more or less. Again, it, it does stick with you, but it comes in waves. And um, I think telling her was probably one of the best things I could, I, I could do. And uh, I relate this to you, Kirk, uh, because you're, um, you talked about your, your alcoholism and mm -hmm. that is also likely to be a lifelong thing. 
And that's actually the one episode that Caitlin listened to entirely uh, of your podcast. And she really appreciated how you talked about how, you know, you went to your significant other and you talked about it. And um, mm-hmm. I think there's a, there's a lot of parallels there that people can get help from and realize like, oh, I'm in this situation. And um, yeah, just, just dealing with it. And I, I have some, I have some highs and I have a lot of lows. Um, November seems to hit the hardest, which is kind of annoying because uh, it's usually like right after World Surface Mutter. So I don't you probably hear from people saying, you know, World Surface Mutter is such a high that once you leave, like you get a low uh, that hits extra hard sometimes. And I just find myself in a slump. And um, when something's off or if I start to vocalize my feelings a little bit, which I'm trying to get better with, um, Caitlin will just say, like, what's your number? Like, scale from one to ten, like, what's your, you know, suicide what's going through your head and and i can just kind of give her a number and like we can kind of resonate on that and just figure out like okay take a breath like how what's bothering you this and that and um i also do a lot of like to-do lists to Mm -hmm. i'm feeling overwhelmed too and just uh uh, sometimes i can look at that and objectively see like you know the world's not on the world is on fire your life's not on fire uh you know you, you can kind of calm down and try to think rationally but again rational thought which is like my everything is sometimes a barrier when you're depressed. So, uh, lots of rambling there, but I've just been dealing with it over the years and it's been, it's good now. Um, but it, it comes and goes and it doesn't really have a warning or anything. It's just, it's a, it's a fun little thing, but, but going on my runs, you know, slow and steady, it it just helps me just put mileage on them that, uh, that demon from behind me. Well, you weren't lying about a abrupt pivot. Kirk, I thought we were going to talk about something different, but this is like, yeah, I was edging my seat for five straight minutes listening to you talk there. Me too. Like it got real, but in a very positive, good way. Glad I didn't botch it. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, I think people look at it like, like it's not anything like alcoholism, depression, anxiety. It's not something anybody chooses. It's not a choice. And people, people really misunderstand that. And it's like, I fell into the darkest time of my life when I I bought a new lake house and Christ from on paper, my athletic performances were going great. And I had a very successful career. The podcast was, you know, taken off and everything. You look from the outside and you get, this guy has no reason to drown his life in whiskey. Like none at all. And you're right. I did. I, I don't know, but it, it didn't almost feel like a choice at a time. It was like all those external circumstances become null and void. It's, it doesn't need to be rationalized or justified. It is what it is. And once you kind of understand that, it's the very, very beginnings of like accepting and then really understanding how to deal with it. Cause it's going to be around no matter how good or bad things are going in your life. And it's, it's then becoming a student of your disease, we will call it and under, and, and then learning it, understanding it and learning how to react to it or get ahead of it. I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm-hmm. I want to ask something possibly inappropriate. So just know ahead of the time, ahead of time that we will cut this right out if you don't want to get into it. All right. But having several people in my life or in my teaching or coaching sphere throughout my life, there were always two concerns about one life changing moment. And that was becoming a parent. And that issue was, A, that irrational but 
understandable fear, will I pass this on? Will I be responsible for another generation going through this? And B, what happens when I cycle down when I am responsible for another? It's one thing to be in a relationship. It's another thing to be parent. I don't know your family planning. I don't know what your goals are, but how have those two pieces impacted that in your life? And if you do not want to talk about this, we will not. No, I think those are great questions. I haven't thought so much about uh, my child inheriting it, but that, that is a good. I don't want to incept that into you no, either. No, no, no. Yeah, no, definitely. Because it's, but... yeah, it's yeah. not something you need to worry about. Yes. Um, but yeah, it, it, but in terms of having kids and stuff, that is coming up now because we're getting married in November. And of course, that's the next question. Like, mm. oh, when you blah, blah, blah. What's this mm-hmm. coming up? But. I know that I think that I would be best suited to have a child with depression because I know how to deal with it. I know how to teach them coping strategies. I know how to help them through everything. Caitlin and I often think about since she she's a special education teacher, I'm a behavioral therapist with autistic kids. That if we were to have an autistic kid, and I'm not comparing the two, but somewhat, um, we would be best suited to deal with that. Um, I would like to think so. Um, getting into a little other stuff, like not having a dad growing up, I think I'm going to be the best fucking dad ever. Because I know what not to do, what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But yeah, I think having a child and worrying about depression really coming coming over me again and and i'd like to think and and the rational side of me is like of course having a child will completely not negate but give me the biggest reason to not you know leave this world Mm -hmm. or whatever um i would like to think that and i continue to tell myself that and when i do feel really low you know people say like think of the people that love you which again is rational that makes sense but sometimes it, it just doesn't feel enough um I find that some of the reasons that I can keep it at bay is I think about Caitlin, um, I think about grandfather, family, um, even my cats, if that works. Um, so I, I'd like to think that a child would be enough to sway me. Uh, mm-hmm. That being said, that there's no judgment to people that, again, we're not saying commit suicide anymore. It's, what is it, died from suicide because commit sounds like a sin and whatever. There's judgment, mm-hmm. but I'd like to think that I will be very well equipped to deal with it if my child has it. I won't be perfect. Perfect doesn't exist. Um, and I, I'd like to think that I'm staying strong. I, I've been pretty strong. It's been a while since it's gotten really bad. I, I'm doing well. Um, I don't think I'm completely out of it because you, n- you never really are. But I, I think that it's it's a battle that I can definitely continue to, to fight. When did you open up about all this out of curiosity? You mentioned you talked to Caitlin about it like multiple years after you started dating Hello Skeletons, so to speak. Um, wh- when did you open up about it publicly? So, Like on the podcast, you mean? Or Yeah, wherever. I think uh, with my, f- I think some of my friends knew. I'm sure they didn't know the extent of it. Like I don't know mm-hmm. how many friends of mine know that I was like put away for a while. It's not like a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I, was, I think I was pretty vocal early on with the podcast. And if I wasn't very early on, it was after Matt B. Davis talked about his 
uh, bipolar. And that was definitely like a solid rallying cry of like, oh, like the, the biggest media guy saying it. Um, I was definitely, if I wasn't vocal before, I was even more vocal then. Um, and saying that like, I know, I know what it's like. Uh, not not the, the mania so much as, as the, the low, but um, an extra side note that's been actually really helpful with like Matthew Davis and I are pretty good friends. We text frequently and just every once in a while, like mental health checks. Um, and I think it just, the solid uh, like basis for a friendship when you, when you kind of understand that um, when you have that in common with someone, but yeah, I tried to be vocal, not all the time. Like I don't want to like every episode, like, hi, I'm Mike, I have depression, but um, mm. just enough. So where I think it can influence people. Um, and it's, it's tough too sometimes. Cause I trouble, I have trouble with like my energy level. Like if I'm not feeling very happy, it's tough to kind of fake it on the mic. And sometimes I feel like I can hear it, which is frustrating. And, and mm. a lot of the times after we record the intro and outro, I'm like, scrap it, let's get rid of it. But we do keep it, but I, I get frustrated with it sometimes. And, you know, Caitlin's always cheerful and bubbly. She's like the exact opposite of me. She's, she's, <laughs> she's like the, the sweetest thing. And sometimes I could be a bit of a, a cynic ass. Um, but yeah, I, I try to, I think it was like early on that I was, I was trying to be vocal about that. I don't know Caitlin well, but I have a few snapshots of her that make me assume when you delayed four years and then told her she handled it well and was nothing but supportive. But at what point did the backlash come? At what point did the card conversation come up? How long was she able to kind of be the rock before saying, listen, I have an issue with this. And how long did that take to get through? Yeah. That's a damn good question. So, um, yeah, she was very, very accepting about it. Um, she didn't really have any idea because I, I wear the mask very, very well, which I'm kind of proud of. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she was very, very supportive, and she continues to be. It's just times where she leaves for family vacation when I'm not coming with mm-hmm. that. She's like, hey, are you going to be okay? And I'm like, if I'm in a reasonable headspace, I'm like, yeah, no, I got plenty of food. I'm fine. She's like, yeah, but, like, are you going to be okay? And I have to take a step back, and I'm like, sometimes I feel like it influences her more than it influences I mean differently it influences mm-hmm. her in different ways than it influences me um and so like sometimes it bothers me that like she held back a little bit from enjoying her vacation because she knows that I could be having mm-hmm. some difficulties with that and so to remedy that I, I've really been trying to be more vocal and more of an open book and say hey I'm having a tough day today so she doesn't always have to wonder mm-hmm. Um, and I think where that, that's where the number system has been extremely helpful, um, is like, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm having a day today. It's only like a six, but like a six still isn't great. Just be aware of that. That's all. Um, and it, it's just kind of like it's flare ups and you never, and since you never know when it's going to happen, she never knows when it's going to happen. Um, so I, I think like when, when she goes away for a while, but other than that, like we're always together, we're kind of like joined mm-hmm. at the hip, like her friends are my friends and I love her friends. She loves my friends and we both love each other's families. Um, but when we're away, she does worry a little bit more. Um, the times when, like, mm-hmm. you know, flying to World's Toughest Mudder, like, she's not coming with me. I'm covering it myself. Okay, I'm going to be up all night. and maybe you know, go, 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 and this and that. Like, is there going to be a low moment there? What's going to happen? And it's going to be a time zone difference. I'm going to have someone to talk to. So it, it does come up sometimes um, in just kind of learning how to, to communicate. The, the, the biggest thing you can do is communicate um, mm-hmm. for any relationship, but especially when... Um, someone's dealing with something like this so that in mind how much did it 
impact you temporarily the fact that you waited years? I felt, I felt a lot of guilt for the fact that I waited. Um, mm -hmm. that, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, what about her? She, I think she was almost a little offended in thinking that, like, did you not think I could accept it? Did you not think this or that? Like, she, I'm sure she felt a little, she definitely felt stung. I mean, being in a relationship for a long time, that's a hell of a secret to keep. Mm -hmm. um, but... I think my big thing was ex exactly what I said before. It's like, I don't want her to, I guess I didn't want her to be affected. Um, but of course there'd be no bigger, bigger effect than me not telling her, me not dealing it and dealing with it and um, you know, not making it. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it, I don't think the sting lasted long or if it, or if it did, we probably should still talk about it. Kirk, do you have a follow up? Made you closer. I do. Oh, oh we always do. Closer. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And my, my experience brought Jess and I, um, you know, we're not married or engaged, but we, we will, we're heading that direction. It's solidified for me. Like somebody responding to a, what you perceive as a negative self attribute responding out of love and support and unconditional. It's a pretty strong voucher for a relationship now, isn't it? And Absolutely. as unlucky as maybe you can feel at times for being drawn that card, and I do believe it is a card draw, um, I think it also opens a lot of what we would call lucky doors. I think it builds more foundational and solid relationships uh, with people. Maybe you have less of them, but the ones you have are, are very enriched because once you're kind of stripped back, things become... I, in my experience, and I'm not an expert in this by any means, but things be, start to develop even more meaning, but yeah. in interrelationship, my opinion. I, I'm not big into like everything happens for a reason because that's a slippery slope, but I do mm -hmm. think that hmm. things happen, you attribute meaning to them and then you make it work. Like you, you, you use what you have gone through to make you stronger, better, what, whatever. And, um, I think it's definitely, I mean, my, my biggest thing for like running is I love like ultra marathons, which is crazy because like you're stuck in your own head and that's, if that's the most dangerous place, it makes no sense. Um, <laughs> but like first time I did world toughest mother, um, just not, a, not even a thought of quitting out there all 24 hours. My big goal is just, just not stop. I got 50 miles and, um, I wrote on my hand, like, I'm not here for an easy race and just thinking that like this is only 24 hours. You've dealt with like basically a lifetime of depression and all these like crazy hurdles and stuff like getting through that you can get through 24 hours. Um, and yeah, I definitely think it's gotten me stronger um, and our relationship just a lot tougher. Hmm. I had the one follow-up question, Bracken. Were you going to pivot now? I have two follow-ups. So I didn't want to cut on your toes because you probably have one that I do. Well, no, I, well, and then I guess the floor will be yours, Brackenstein, but um, this was poor podcast hosting when I, I sort of lumped together the depression and how uh, obstacle racing has changed your life. And then we just focused on the depression, um, which is understandable and, and very worth the conversation. Um, but I would like you to answer it for me a little more cleanly, uh, which is how is, how is all of this impacted or changed your life? I think we dug into the depression piece, which if that alone, my goodness, is there a better thing to impact? But um, how, how has it impacted your life? And maybe I'm totally ruining your line of questioning now, Bracken. 
but no. No, I definitely think just, uh, just keeping busy, having that sense of community, uh, have something to, to look forward to. Um, those three things were, were massive in, in just making sure, and just, and obviously the, the, the physical, physical exercise, um, because I'm not a big trainer, but I do a lot of exercising and that's huge for mental health. You know, people say, uh, working out can cure depression. It's not true. It definitely helps and, and, and makes the like symptoms subside and, you know, low energy, just as you said, Carrie, like you, the motivation piece has been very helpful. I have your words repeating in my head, which I have to butcher, but like you go do something and then the motivation comes, then you continue doing it. You don't sit around waiting mm-hmm. for motivation. That's uh, it's not going to be very helpful. So um, just getting into just close. You, know, you didn't butcher it, but you didn't nail it. But I get the idea. I'll work with it. I'll work with it. <laughs> but just having something crazy to look forward to on the weekend and, and just just crazy experiences of. I mean, I'm not a very strong person upper body wise, but like monkey bars and and just really fun, exciting obstacles. And you know, I was never a good runner, but it was fun to just run from obstacle to obstacle and, and have those things to look forward to. And I mean, back in 2012, 2013, there were races like every other weekend in, in <laughs> New England. It, New England was like the place we had over 15 local races. It was the place to be for early days of OCR. And it just kept me busy and managing like a little race team, which it wasn't like a competitive race team. It was more of just a, a community that I, I had built and having that community was helpful. I didn't ever share with them my depression or anything like that. It just It just kept me, kept me busy. And then everything that I've done with OCR and just it, it knowing that it like took me out of that like funk and it just distracted me enough. And I found like a community and I love the sport. I'm like, what can I do for the sport? And then to, to the podcast, which continues to keep me busy. So I think the fact that it just keeps me busy um, is one aspect of it. And it's just, it's fun as hell. It's something to look forward to. And I, sometimes you need that. I think it's about creating accountability for yourself to show up. How many ways can you create accountability to show up? And now you got to show up for me and Bracken and other listeners, and you got to show up for your training group, and you got to show up for the people you said that you would show up for on race day, and you got to show up for Caitlin, and you got to show up for yourself because of all that. I think it's about layering in reasons in your life to show up. That's what I think. You create a system like that, it's going to keep one foot in front of the other. That's what I think. Yeah, that, that that's a, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many, there's too many directions to go because <laughs> it's just, I'm complicated. So, yeah. But <laughs> p- humans are complicated and thus there are a lot of people that need to explore all these things. But before I would go in any direction, I do want to actually respond to that. Everything happens for a reason quote of all things. Like that's the thing on my mind because so many people struggle with that quote the same way they struggle with God. Like those two are kind of paired together. That if God existed, how could he let this happen? If everything truly happens for a reason, what does that say about me or them? And so often I don't want to put my opinion on things. I'm just going to state a maybe piss people off statement that people who say everything happens for a reason have never lost a loved one. That's the dividing line there. Because, Like my wife lost her brother when he was 16. I met her because of that. So to say everything happens for a reason means we couldn't have married without losing him. That is an unacceptable cosmic equation to balance. That cannot be it. So the statement is everything does not happen for a reason. Everything after that is an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. 
you can put a spin on anything, but no, no. Loss, death does not happen for a reason because of that. Everything that happens after that can happen for a reason. So I, I think that's important for people to hear because they have guilt associated with things. That was a point of contention for her for a few years. Like we met because she was ripe for change in her life. So could she really fully appreciate her husband and subsequent children if it came at the cost of her brother? Like this is a very dramatic statement, but I think it fits in the theme of the episode right now to know that you are not at fault for what comes next. Yeah. It, 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 the more you analyze that terminology, and it's something that like everyone says it just rolls off the tongue, mm-hmm. but it's almost cruel. Like, like you said, it is. It's, it's like, oh, okay, like this happened for this to happen. Like this, not to get yeah. to religion, but I, I have feelings on that. <laughs> um, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's answers to black and white questions in a gray world, kind of. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, not a fan of that, really. Well, and I've seen that statement emotionally affect people. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's a PSA for people to not casually toss it around. So be like, well, I lost my job. Everything happens for a reason. And the person in the corner lost someone to suicide. Like, did that happen for a reason? Yeah. Yes, but not because it was cosmically ordained. Like, it's important to remember that there are real things that people are dealing with that wasn't like, oh, man, my car window was broken, but everything happens for a reason. There are greater issues in our world. So I guess maybe get that off my chest and move on. But my twofold question. The first is very pointed. The second is theoretical and they're not related. So bear with me, but ultra running is attractive to people who have gone through real things in their life. We talked about it with Justin Hamilton. We've talked about it with Rhea Coble. We've talked about it with people who have experienced true hurt in their life or addiction or depression. Ultra running is a good match. However, Like you said, the downside after an ultra event can be dangerous. So for the hundreds of people or thousands of people that may hear this, who have this current pairing in their life, like what are the guardrails for an endurance athlete who is in some ways reliant upon running or endurance as either coping or a balancing act or as something to pour into? How do you do these things appropriately so that if you DNF world's toughest or you come down off your high afterwards, or even in the middle of the race, you don't find yourself in a carb depleted lull that you don't come back out of? Yeah. Uh, so we got community and uh, accountability, having something else to look forward to as well. Like I never even thought about like how I would feel if I DNF'd um, world's toughest mother that it just wasn't even a mental option for me. At mm-hmm. that point, um, but yeah, it, it is scary trying to figure out a way to make sure that you, you know, like the with the, the super high comes the super low. It's I'm still working on mastering that. I think it's mm-hmm. uh, making sure you're not not all of your eggs are in one basket. Because as much as I love OCR and podcasting, it's not my entire life, and I think that's important for people too to have their other things. Um, almost like a different pillars. Like if uh, there's six pillars holding something and two of them fall, it's not the end of the world, but you need to keep having some amount of pillars to, to keep you upright. Um, so while ultra running into just moving into those mental battles uh, that I enjoy, that I seek out, that I pay for, uh, while those are helpful in tackling it, just making sure that there are other things 
um, for me, like video games. I like to lose my mind and just zone out and play video games. Escapism can be a helpful way to to deal with that when when, when coming down. Um, reaching out to people you haven't talked to in a long time is, is a good avenue too. That's something I'm trying to get better with. Um, just figure out what your what your pillars are. What's going to keep you mentally steady, stable, um, and have those there to back you up in case in case a couple fall. Do you like think we, I've mentioned on the podcast a, n- a number of times? Nothing, re- not recently though, about like the inevitable low after the high of a race or a season-ending a race or goal, and then the inevitable yet. Yeah, um, slump we fall into afterwards which when you experience for the first time can be like pretty painful and then once you know it's coming and you can expect it and there's some foresight there and you're like okay yeah it's just you know the week after a world championship like i understand there's going to be some some lost feelings in me that i can't really justify do you find it's more helpful or less helpful to know that those things are coming like is ignorance bliss in this regard or is it not uh, it's tricky. I don't. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think. Everything that I'm like thinking about right now is like related to world stuff. Because that's usually when it hits me the worst. Um, I, I think. I mean, you're getting married after that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. It's, like, wedding of planning. That, instead of that, this year I'm doing. I'm getting married. So. Oh, instead of. Yes, it's on the same day because it's a one 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 two two two, which is like a cool number thing, and it's also exactly nine years from when we started dating. So. Okay. <laughs> what the heck kind of planning was that, Mike? I know. I shot myself in the foot. My favorite event of the year, and uh, I mean that just shows how committed I am, right? So that's right. Impressive. But sorry, I'm lost now. <laughs> no, it's fine. Bracken was going to say something. I was just going to say that if you're planning the final steps of your wedding and or you're doing something impactful, you're going to have two different anniversaries fall on the time of your big pulse lull. So are those intentionally planned in that I have a positive waiting after the negative or does it kind of poison the well knowing I should be happy right now. This is a great week, but it doesn't matter. Cause in the moment there is no, like there is no fruit that sits there. There's no carrot that matters. Yeah. Like you said, think of your loved ones or think of this at some point you get to a point. It doesn't matter. You can tell me anything you want. It doesn't resonate. So is that intentional or is that just, happenstance for you that your november dates are there i think it's the the and, and i love i'm like very much a night owl i think it's it's the the time difference which uh, you know when it gets darker early and stuff like that when i um as when we're trying to figure out the time for this interview like i work very very long days and when i get back when i leave and it's dark and i get back and it's dark like that's kind of hard mm-hmm. to deal with so i think that's another factor in those times um i i don't know Something else that kind of popped in my head too. I think another way that I, I cope with coming down from big events like World Stuff is Mutter is since I do have the podcast, um, I can have like one, two, three episodes, and I can almost like taper uh, my 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 feelings, my emotions. Like I get to, I have that high, and then I release up the first episode, and I still have a certain percentage of that high, and then a little bit less, and a little bit less. So it's less of a immediate drop off. Mm-hmm. And it's more of a, I guess, I guess the taper is the only way I can think about it. That's, that's been extremely helpful too. But as for what other people do, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very tough. It is. 
That is interesting because I found that my big race lulls were worse when I was a teacher. Really? Yeah, because it was back to work on Monday. Mm. Now it's like I get to talk about it on the podcast. I get to go back to running and coaching and speaking about it. You're right. There is some like gradient to the process rather than just an abrupt life begins, right? You're not. Yeah. This You can shape your life to it, how it begins. Yeah. We're really peeling back some layers of this onion, aren't we? Yes, we are. Well, here what? is a painful one, Kirk. And then I can be done and you can have the rest of it. This is my last thing I've been waiting to ask you to. Yeah. As someone who has never had to open up a big painful secret. The most painful thing I probably ever had was that our finances got lower than I let Lisa know. She was aware, but she didn't know the numbers. Which probably is about how Jess was, right? She was aware, but she didn't fully know the numbers until it was finally time to let her know all the numbers. Maybe I'm maybe I'm reaching, but anyway, uh, I didn't... no, you're you're right half halfway right, yeah. Okay. I've for, like I have fortunately not cheated emotionally or physically. I haven't dealt with addiction. I haven't dealt with depression. I haven't had like a what people would consider a life-changing secret inside me that I couldn't let out. But the people that I know who have, and my own feeling when I didn't fully tell her back in the day about our finances, was that it wasn't the shame of admitting the secret. It was the shame of the stigma that would follow after. Like, all right, I got our numbers back up, or I stopped drinking, or I have my my mood more balanced. But like you mentioned, there's always going to be the check-ins. There's always going to be the, the someone peering over your shoulder. That was the shame that impacted me and the people around me in their confessions. So maybe this is an impossible answer for you two, but for the people who are still holding that secret in for shame of release or shame of, I don't want to have the rest because everyone says you don't beat it. You just deal with it. I don't want that shame and that stigma of the next, however many years of my life, people checking in on me or reading too far into my answers, or I'm going out of the town this weekend. Are you going to be all right? Like that. I don't want that. What, what is the reaction or the response to that? Uh, I guess I would say, is it better than the alternative? Like, you know, telling someone being vocal about that. Um, and, and if the person, cause Kirk and I are lucky, right? Like our significant others took it well, they were supportive they they loved us anyway um it's not going to be like that for everybody which is horrible it, it, it's that's but it's it's a fact right and if they don't deal with it well i mean maybe they're not the person for you and it's better to find it out earlier than later um mm -hmm. but you, you just you gotta it's better to tell them um the, the the checking in over my shoulder this and that it's all from a place of love right and I need, it, 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 does it get annoying sometimes? Yes. But I have to sit back and realize like, this is because she cares. This is because she's, she's worried about me. And I think as, as long as they accept it and, and you keep up constant communication, you should be able to kind of weather that storm. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's worth it. You, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta be vocal about, about things like that because, um, I think it can only fester and get worse if you if you don't. You Opening hurt? up is the best damn thing for you and your future. And it doesn't 
insinuate weakness and insinuate strength. Coming to terms with something about yourself that you are not proud of and sharing that is not weakness. It is strength. And anybody who perceives it as weakness can kick rocks. And the ones who are worth sticking around will, and they're going to make you better moving forward because of it. Simple as that. Accountability is everything. I'm lucky to have Bracken to be a training accountability partner. I'm lucky to have Jess to be a mental health and an alcohol accountability partner. Many people have reached out since. And if I hadn't, it is so unveiling and so purifying to talk about something that you're potentially ashamed of, that what it does for you positively moving forward can't even really be summed up, in my opinion, in words properly. So if you're holding on to something, I think... Like, man up, woman up. Talk about it. Don't be a little baby in the corner. That's what I think. Yeah. <laughs> a little harsher words, I suppose, but <laughs> that's my take. I think it's important to hear because I would take you as the person like, I am my own boss. I have lived my life the way I want to. I don't want your sympathy. I don't want you every time we go shopping to look at what I have in my cart. I don't want you to, if I had a drink at at a at a 4th of July party, I don't want you to pull me aside and say, hey, is everything, I don't want that. I want autonomy. So to hear you say the opposite, which is, listen, sack up and do this. It's, it's I think that's good. I think harsh is good because I'd expect the opposite type of harsh. Well, I do own my own life and Mike owns his own life. And that doesn't change the saying. fact that I put on my own shoes and and control everything in my life the best I can. And the things that I don't feel like I can, does anybody really control everything in their life? Like, really? Do you really have a handle on absolutely everything in your life? You say yes, you're a damn liar. Okay. Dish out some of those things. I don't know. It's a good question, Bracken. That was a great question. Yeah. I'm, I'm it's an impossible question. It's, it's, it's always... Yeah. It's always okay, okay to ask for help, and, and I hope that you know if it is with your significant other, and like the news doesn't get accepted well, and just they don't seem to be as uh, unconditional with their love as you expected. Like I hope you have a good friend group too. Like you got to have some sort of net, whether it's friends or religion or any, any kind of just community. Like you, you need something to fall back on um, because you know life's not a fairy tale. Not everyone is uh, ready to hear certain news not everyone is knows how to go about helping it's not some people don't know how to go about helping but are ready to learn um but some people don't think the effort's worth it and i, I hope that if you are struggling with something that, like out there that you know you do find someone that thinks it's worth it to help you which sounds <laughs> like the bare minimum but I, you know there's a lot of not so great relationships out there and that can make it tough and what you say, like if you are going to come forward with something you think is so revealing about you, but you want to know the truth, it is more revealing about the person you tell and how they react to it. I think you will learn more about that person than they will learn about you by you revealing your confession, which sounds crazy to think because you're the one in the vulnerable situation. Sure, somebody's learning something about you, but you're actually learning just as much or more about them and understanding how they accept and respond to it. And that's something people don't think about. So it's an opportunity to learn as well. Not everyone's made for everything. Not everyone's built for everything. And some people aren't made for empathy. Some people are built for playing that role in a relationship. And I suppose you got lucky that you waited years and got away with it. It turned out she was built for it. Yeah. 
But I suppose finding out those things rather than harboring them is probably the quickest litmus test to how strong is that relationship. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. What's next for Mike? What's going on with obstacle running adventures? Right. What are we looking at the next rest of the year? Where can people listen to you? All that stuff. Good stuff. I, mean, I want to know what you got coming up race wise, uh, life wise, and then all that. Yeah. So I have pretty much the rest of the year <laughs> planned out for episodes. Um, this weekend, I'm going to be at uh, Savage Race Boston. I'm going to be running Savage, the Blitz, uh, just funsy laps, whatever, uh, interviewing the elite scorpers seems to show up there. Uh, having some people call in talking about other events. Uh, really, really, really excited for OCRWC. That's like some of my favorite <laughs> events to cover because there's just so much going on. It's just a, very, very lucky to have it back in uh, Stratton again. So I'll be covering that hopefully coming up to Killington, do that as well. I've had a couple people reach out to me that I didn't think I'd be having on the podcast that said that they want to be on the podcast. They heard it did a good job and that means a, a whole, whole lot. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of people calling in for, for the show, for the show for a while. Um, not as much going to events as I would like, but again, that's saving up for the wedding and everything and, and grad school. But, um, yeah, the show will go on, and we're not gonna we're not gonna miss not gonna miss an episode. You can find us over on um, we're actually on the OCR Report, so we're a part of them, and uh, just anywhere you find your podcast, Soft Score Running Adventures, and uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy it. Do you have any carrots dangling? Uh, you don't have world's toughest mutter dangling performance wise, so we didn't get to talk about your athlete life. And yes, you are an athlete. Now I stand by that. Do you have anything uh, just personal wise that you're looking to accomplish, fitness? Yeah, the fitness front coming up. As I said, the whole athletic pursuit is something that could be skipped for the most part. It's probably the far, <laughs> the least interesting thing Come but, on. for me. But um, a big deal. This for is me the. Last I'm year. sick of this. People <laughs> I, apologizing for their paces. Yeah, I just yeah. Just um, own it. It's every bit that it's exciting to you is the same amount that ours is exciting to us, and John's is exciting to John, and Danny Moreno's is exciting to Danny. It is the exact same. You just got to own it. Yeah. I, I just, I, sometimes I think like if I put the amount of time and effort into training for OCR, how good I would be that I, that I put into the podcast, how good would I be? Uh, mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. of that sometimes too, but a uh, little accomplishments like uh, 2019, I wasn't able to make it through, uh, oh God, was it Canyon? No, not Canyon. Uh, Valkyrie. I wasn't Valkyrie. able to make it through Valkyrie and it was just rings, pull up, pretty simple, and then go down. Uh, and I was able to make it last year. So I think last year I mentally quit on an obstacle. And so I want revenge on that. It was a low rig, not particularly hard, but I'm not, uh, I'm heavier than I am strong. So that's kind of tough on any, any obstacle. <laughs> it's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> and, uh, In all my years in the fitness world, I've never heard somebody say I'm heavier than I am strong. And now I'm wrapping my head around that simple sentence. <laughs> and uh, I was an idiot for the, for the team relay because I, so I proposed to Caitlin at the end of doing the team relay at OCRWC last year. My mind was all on that. Um, and I didn't realize that my bib had my like obstacle completion band. And I thought that I just forgot to put it on. So I'm like, oh, I'll just like, I didn't think about like doing every obstacle because my mind was elsewhere. And that was the only obstacle I didn't get on the strength leg. And when I finished that leg, everyone's like, dude, it's on your, it's on your bib. Like you could have kept your band for that section. And I just felt really stupid. So I guess my, my big goal this time is to, to keep my band for uh, the, the relay portion, whichever I ended up, I end up with. 
Um, although the obstacles will be harder this year, I think Adrian confirmed that. So I think that's that's a fitness goal. Your carrot is OCRWC. Yes. Also working on uh, running form, which has been an absolute nightmare dealing with that because it turns out it was a big heel striker. Never really had any injuries except for like hamstring tightness. And now that I've been sort of taught how to run on my forefoot, uh, shin splints in like all of these other pains. And I'm like, this is not going well. So dealing with that too. Remaining injury free, I think is my big goal. I'll bite my tongue so that we can end the episode. <laughs> totally fair. Conversation you, for another time. You sure you want to bite your tongue? Form optimization versus form change. Kirk, that's all. So obstacle running adventures on Instagram. Yep. Uh, and all podcast outlets. Yep. And Facebook, although much like Brecken, we're not very big into social media. We'll put like the post up there. Um, and we appreciate followers and all that stuff. We're it's not it looks like we're a rinky thing podcast. And I guess in some by any like, you know, depending on how you measure it, I guess we are, but um, I just really love doing it and appreciate any any listener, whether you write in, support us on Patreon, doesn't matter much to me, but uh just any I don't know. I just appreciate all the people that uh just listen and it means a lot. I'll say it one last time, you do a great job. And so people should go listen you know, subscribe, like whatever the deal is, because I've not listened to an interview of yours yet that I have disengaged from or not listened to into completion because it's kept me along um, regardless as to the guest. Um, so I, I encourage people to, to check you out. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm definitely my own worst critic. So it's <laughs> trying to get better at that too. Well, I'll be loading you up for long runs on that best of compilation episode. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. It's good. They're good ones. Which is the first time I've publicly committed to listening to a podcast. So I'll take it. Doesn't sound like a compliment, but it really is. <laughs> Genuinely appreciate those guys. Thank you so, so much. See you soon. Thanks, Mike. Yes.